I'm Karen. Um, I know nothing about Harry Potter whatsoever. I haven't read the books, and frankly, I just don't get it. But uh, I'm Ryan's friend, and I agreed to do this. So, yeah. I have heard some of the singing that comes in later on, and yeah, it's kind of bad. So you might want to maybe wear some, like, earplugs or ear muffs or something. Did I just say muff? Anyway, um, yeah, that's it. Oh, and by the way, I'm the original voice. Danielle took this voice from me. Well, actually, I taught it to her, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, I digress. Episode 20 of Potterfic Weekly. <laughs> this is the best you're gonna get, so. God bless the USA. Hey, Ron. The next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the Quidditch pitch, just remember that. Welcome back to Potterfic Weekly, everyone. This is Ryan, and I can't breathe. And Jen! And Lady Chi. And Nicole, otherwise known as Lilith from the forums. This is Lilith's first episode uh, guest hosting with the rest of us, and I have to feel that it's kind of like, you know, just getting initiated into, you know, some type of sorority. Um <laughs> Just, okay. for every, just so everyone knows, we've now been recording for 36 minutes, and you know what? I can't even begin to describe what just happened, so let's run through the highlights for everybody. I drove home, and I was in such a rush to get in and get situated and just try to be calm because uh-huh. I've, been, I've been just running around. That I think I, f- I forgot to put my car in park. <laughs> oh, shut up. Listen. No. Usually, though, when I do that, because I'm kind of scatterbrained sometimes. When I do that, it, it doesn't let me turn my key out. Right. But I got my key out, and I shut the door, and I went into the house, and I let my dogs go outside. And, you know, we live on a ranch, so it's relatively flat. But my dogs start barking. They go outside, and I'm inside, like, trying to clean up what they've done. And and, um, and they just are excessively barking, so I run out there, like, thinking that my neighbor had come over and or something. And I see my car rolling down, the, down our... I can't even, it's not a driveway because we have a lot of land in front of us. And then there's like a road driving towards the main (laughs) fence. It's got about three acres to go. And I'm like talking on my cell phone to my cousin and I scream and my car is locked. And I run after my car and my dog 
are like, like, I don't care if my car is going to hit something, but my dogs are like behind the car. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to die. And, like, I'm just going to die right here. So I go to my car. Think, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. I don't have my keys. I can't. And my door handle on my driver's side broke off the other day. So I've been, so I've been, so I've been having to, like, put my key in it to get it open. Like, it, I can't stop laughing. It wasn't so funny when it, when it happened. I didn't cry as much when my grandmother died. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, that's awful. <laughs> it's terribly. It wasn't funny when it happened, and I was really upset. And so I get to my car and like hang on to the mirror <laughs> to try to get it to stop. <laughs> You're trying to hold on, stop. You're trying to stop. Well, it wasn't rolling very fast. It was just kind of somewhat rolling. So anyway, (laughs) so it gently taps against the, it gently, seriously, it was like slow motion. It gently taps against the tree that's in the yard, thank God, and stops. And I mean, it wasn't like a crash. Like it was not even going one or two miles an hour. It was just very, it was like this slow motion but it was so, like, so anyway, so I run out there and, like, I just stare at my car. Because I've ran, like, half a mile to get out here. I don't have my key. I've dropped my phone somewhere between here and there. What did you so think like, you were going to do? I don't know. I wasn't thinking. And, you know, I'm not supposed to be running. And, like, so I'm, like, hightailing it to hang on to my car. <laughs> I'm, just my dog. I'm just picturing. I'm just picturing. You missed the episode. We don't know where you are again for another three days, and you call me. What happened? I ran over myself with my car. <laughs> I was just so upset because I didn't know that my car would do that, and I and I because it wasn't supposed. I'm not supposed to get my key out if it's not in court. So anyway, no, nothing bad happened, but I almost had a heart attack. And my cousin called, and she thought that I had, like, gotten in a wreck because she knew I was driving. So, and she was pregnant, and so it really worried her. And I was like, oh, calm down. I was calming so her down. she went into labor. So anyway, that was what happened to me today in trying to get to the podcast in time. Literally, my face is red. I am, like, crying, because all I can picture is Jen chasing her car down. The... Here's the I thing. What... Image of, like, I was Jen screaming, like, Wonder... incoherently. <laughs> I just get this image of, like, Jen as Wonder Woman, like, going... Stop! <laughs> <laughs> like, her hands What's out, so terrible know? is that, like, my concern, like, I didn't think how I was going to stop the car or, like, to go get my keys or, like, to do something productive. But as I'm running, I'm, like, screaming. I'm looking over my shoulder to make sure that my neighbor isn't seeing how ridiculous I'm being because that would be embarrassing. Jen, I have oh a question goodness. for you, and I you know I speak for at least half of our listeners right now. Is this the first time this has ever happened to you? Um, yeah, the first time that it, that I've done it to myself, like James and I, <laughs> one time we, at my parents' house, they have like a really high driveway, you know, it's uh-huh. a downhill slope yep. and we were trying to get my car to start and, um, for some reason he was behind it, pushing the car. 
I don't remember why, or we were trying to get it down very slowly or something, and I'd put it in neutral, because I'd never done that before. I didn't know what that did. And I saw that he was having trouble, so I jumped out of the car and tried to run around to the back try to help him and the car started rolling more quickly and I was screaming no and he was screaming at me get in the car get in the freaking car and I was like what what so and the car door had like almost closed so I like swung it open and like climbed in and slammed my foot on the brake and I put it in park and we went out to look at where he was and he if it had gone even three more inches he he had his back up against the the mailbox and the car was in front of him. And because of me, I almost killed my husband. <laughs> so that was the only other time something really terrible with the car has happened. But that was way, like, three years ago. <laughs> I have no comment on that. I'm just going to let no, it stand and just see what people think. Oh. Oh, I'm goodness. not dangerous or anything. I'm just... <laughs> I just have to I just have to say this <sighs> just to move on because I think we're going to have plenty of reaction to Jen having her car be stolen <laughs> by you know gravity um, <laughs> something else happened um, before we started recording tonight um, if you if you listen to the intro you can tell that we that you know today hopefully if we've done our jobs right you know being the 4th of July we went for a you know God bless America theme and um, something happened. We should sing American songs. We should sing Ugh. the national anthem. Lilith, do you have a good singing voice? No. Perfect. You'll fit right in with the rest of us. All right. America, America. I don't think that's the national anthem, sweetheart. No. You're like Leslie Nielsen trying to sing I'm- the national anthem. <laughs> Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light? Yeah, I know that so part. Probably we hail something. At the twilight's last gleaming. At the twilight's last, last gleaming. Gleaming. Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. 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 What? Wait, what? It's a fight. It's not the night. You can't have a perilous night. We're streaming. He's streaming. On the rocket's red
so, so sorry. So sorry. Like, I think that falls into, like, aiding and abetting the enemy. I don't know. That just... <laughs> they, could, they could play that for prisoners in um, that one federal prison that they play really bad music for them. I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> I think that, I think playing that music would be outlawed by I think is, is it the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, the one that bans torture. Yeah, and the Geneva Convention. So <laughs> this is gonna oh be a very fun episode. Lalith, are you feeling intimidated? I don't know what to think, really. <laughs> I'm just having a lot of fun. That's good. You're gonna need that. Um just sit back and enjoy the ride. <laughs> I think I'm going to be laughing so much I won't be able to talk. <laughs> just talk over us, because really, as you can tell, we can just go and, and go and go and go. Uh, so, I had last week off. Now, as you're listening to this, you've obviously um, been able to listen to episode 19. 18. Ha- no, this is episode 20, right? This is episode 20, yeah. Yeah. This is episode 20. Yeah. I'm, where, what? Huh? <laughs> Eight, 18 was released 19 I'm going to release tomorrow and 20 is what we're doing right now oh right yes okay uh, Okay. so I haven't listened to episode 19 yet at the time we're recording this although I've heard there were singing involved and as the executive producer of Potterfic Weekly I would like to preemptively apologize to <laughs> anyone who may have been offended by episode 19. As you can tell, I will not apologize for any of the language or the opinions or the criticism or anything like that, but just based on what has happened here this evening, you know, my apologies to the people of the world. <laughs> That's not nice. Jen and I have very lovely singing voices. It's Especially just when, when we're doing the Hedwig's theme. Especially. Yeah. And she just drove over her own foot, so we're gonna let basically do Bambi. <laughs> Bambi jumped in front of my car and I was doing 60 miles an hour, so Bambi can die. I'm sorry, Bambi. I have very little options. You had a slow speed collision with a fence. That's very different. At least I didn't have to pay for mine. I know, I had to pay $500 for Bambi. I, was like, it's I like, can't believe that. That's my okay, deductible. Alright, we have to get off this. All right. It's ridiculous. One hour later, we're halfway through the introduction to the episode. All right. Um, Jen, would you like to make any announcement about anything that's happening on the forum that people would like to listen to around the 4th of July? I don't have anything specifically about the Independence Day. Well, I know that, but do you have anything that you would like to announce on the forum that would not be times... Okay, Chi, is there anything you would like to announce? If this is the 4th, we're just one week away from the lease of Harry Potter and Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was the sound of Ryan ripping his headset off. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I'm actually considering seeing the movie, I gotta tell you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Jen, are you okay? <laughs> Jen? I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. I've already bought tickets did you really? to the movies. I did, online. Uh, they're not dun, 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 dun. 
know, did you guys uh, read the spoilers that were released about the movie? Uh, someone posted them. They're they're on the um, by the time. Yeah. No, no, I didn't. I don't. I don't I, no, and I have my hand, my my fingers in my ears. Don't ruin it for me. I so I did watch the eleven clips that were online. All right, no one told Chi that Sirius dies at the end. All right. I I keep rereading the book hoping that will change and it never does the Titanic continues to sink Rose keeps pushing him (laughs) off of the door it never I'll never let go (laughs) I'll never let go and she's twisting his fingers one by one to pull him off of the door we have to talk about the Masterfic Theater for a second okay Jen talk about Masterfic Theater for a second I would like to encourage everyone to take part in our new um, Potterfic Weekly thread called the Masterfic Theater, which is a place where we're going to take certain scenes from certain fics and create a script and do little excerpts of our favorite fics to encourage people to read the fics. And one of our newest projects is that we are taking the novel-length fic from Arabella and Virginia. And we are actually turning the entire fic into a script. And we are asking everyone to participate. And to do so, all you have to do is tell me what part you would like. And when we have a list of people, um, and and I'm putting more than one person on different parts. And when we do that, I'm going to have everyone voicemail in and do a couple of scenes. Basically, I'm just encouraging everyone to sign up and participate in the Master Fic Theater production of After the End. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun for the people who are acting in it. We hope not to take too much time. I just think it'll a lot of be... I can't do this. I just have to, <laughs> let, me just, let me just chime in here. We, we, yes. we, we don't want to take any more of anyone's time than necessary to make this a very fun and interesting project. Knowing how things have worked on Polarfic Weekly for the last 20 episodes, we will take more of your time than we ever thought possible, but you will never have had had a more fun experience in your life. True. Yes. Masterfic theater is more fun than sex. It, <laughs> it really is. It is. Oh, oh my god. So much fun. So everyone, just let us know if you're interested and in a part, and we will hold auditions, and hopefully we'll get that moving along in the next month or two. Yay! Yay! I'm so excited. Oh, I am I'm too. gonna get to do some writing and some editing and some acting and it's gonna be so much fun Belayth are you doing it? I might you know, who do you think you do accents I'm, I can't do accents so. do we have anyone from the midwest and after the end <laughs> you can be like we're having southern Bell Hermione so yeah you know what here's the thing at one point you know it's gonna become like more humorous than anything else because we're gonna have oh, like no. Phil as Harry <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so excited. He's going to do such a great job. Loy, is this everything you thought it would be in more? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, this is great. I love it. <laughs> no, it, honestly, just jump in there as much as you can. And if you can get drunk while you're doing this, that will probably help as well. I do have my wine with me. <laughs> <laughs> do just I dr- should bust out my margaritas. And she's publicly drunk on the part of the quickly podcast. Here I am supporting it. Oh, well. I was like, yeah, she, yeah. Sorry. I've been drinking for years and I'm fine because of Jen chasing her car, <laughs> command, commanding I... it to stop. All right, yes. are, are we all in our depressed Christmas at the Malfoy moods? Yes. Right. I'm so sad. Well, Lath, again, just, just jump in, talk over us, jump in there because, as you can tell, we don't shut up easily. Well, just one thing What's it's Lilith, not Lilith. It's Lilith? Lilith. 
or just Nicole or Nikki, that's fine too. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> all <right. laughs> I think it can't this is be worse than Kai. <laughs> Lady Kai. Kai. <laughs> Wasn't that the one where we did like Jen, Jen's like that's deeply profound? You know, you're talking about like you're getting like the ancient Greek or whatever, and I'm like, uh, Rena went to college and I watched Star Trek. It's not that bad. <laughs> God. Okay. All right. Chapter 18. Christmas. Is it Christmas at the Malfoys or Christmas with the Malfoys? I think it's Christmas with the Malfoys. Christmas at the Malfoys doesn't make any sense. Christmas at the Malfoys. I'm looking at it. Is it? It is. That doesn't Christmas make any sense. The Malfoys. So this is going to be a bloodbath. We can't, you know, understand the title of chapter 18, and this is going to be an 18-hour episode. Christmas at the Malfoys. Well, technically, it's the Black House and the Malfoys you know, are claiming some type of ownership, so maybe there's some type of eminent... I have no idea why she said add and not with. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't understand I have the Christmas title. with the Malfoys. You have Christmas I with the Malfoys? Maybe it's not even with them. Yeah. Maybe it's... On Melinda's website. I'm on Melinda's website, too. And it says, Chapter 18, Christmas at the Malfoys. And, oh, mine says Christmas with the Malfoys. Are you serious? This is very serious. serious. Mine I just refreshed... With. Mine says No, with. it doesn't. Okay, I found the problem. If you're in the chapter, at the top it says at, but if you're looking at the chapter list, it says with. Ooh, yep. a typo. Typo! In the title of the chapter. This does not bode well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Melinda, you poor thing. Oh. Melinda's like drinking right now, and it's probably like 8.30 in the <laughs> morning. She's turned it off. Like, She's like, I'm not whiskey. even going to go there. I need whiskey. <laughs> exactly her, her kids are like looking at her. Mommy's drunk again. <laughs> Potter, think we, we can't get you drink. You <laughs> <laughs> can't drink, get you drink nothing, Will. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Everyone back on track. we got to keep going. Okay. okay. Now... Okay, I am not as bad as Mac. <laughs> I am not as bad as Mac. Oh, is, no, uh, you're not. You can't. Off topic sign. Off topic sign. Did you know what I did to Mac yesterday? I changed it so every time someone typed Mac, it showed the picture of the off topic sign. I do it every post. No, no, why? I think he messed with me because every time someone typed Ryan, it replaced my name with a picture of Kermit the Frog. I thought he wasn't supposed to do that. Well, I think he did. I think Jules caught on because Jules threatened to take points from Ravenclaw, and he's like, "What did I do?" And they, they almost like started fighting. It's kind of funny. In the bar. All right, all right. Now, just okay. So it's Christmas with the Malfoys, and Ron is now awake. He woke up at the end of the last chapter, and I still love the fact that when Ron wakes up, the first thing he says is, "I'm hungry." I am hungry. I think those yes. are Ron's first words. Actually, were, "I'm hungry." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He, he probably learned, um, he probably learned, Mo, Mo, because I work with toddlers, and that's usually their first word, Mo, Mo, which is supposed to be more, but, like, it can mean oh, anything. like, who's Mo? I don't know. Our no. <laughs> sound is really hard. Jen, what do you say in the South when you want more food and you're small? Oh, I don't know. Probably, y'all, y'all, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm learning know. so much more about my mother country just by talking to Jen. All right. Now, I know my first word was eat. Your first word was eat? Yep. <laughs> Important <laughs> things covered. You like mama? Eat. 
Okay. Now, I just have to say this about the beginning of the chapter. You know, from after the end, we have George ships Mathemer's Murda. We have Ron ships Mr. Doyle. So, of course, Melinda decides to complete the Trinity by shipping uh, Madame Pomfrey with Mad-Eye Moody. Oh, I loved it. I, love I it. loved it. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever thought of that before. And I've thought, like, you know, like, on MuggleNet, you know, Dobby ships giant squid. Like, I never thought <laughs> of Madame Pomfrey and Mad-Eye Moody, but... At Gryffindor Tower, we used to have a running joke about Harry and the giant squid. Oh. The giant squid's name was Estelle, and she was in love with Harry. There were quite a few fics about um, Estelle being in love with Harry. This is a very diverse fandom. It is. <laughs> you can I'm not that diverse. <laughs> Even I have my limits. <laughs> here we thought it was a uh, male pregnancy, but apparently it's Estelle Harry. E-H. <laughs> oh my goodness. Alright, so it, I just love the scene because it's just, there's so much going on in the scene. You have Mad-Eye Moody dancing with, you know, Poppy Pomfrey, um, you know, Hermione scratching her head because obviously her hair is starting to grow back in and here's the thing Ron is about as perceptive as a dump truck and I love the fact that his response is why don't you shave your head again it will stop itching I know he's just so dumb sometimes what a doofus (laughs) oh my goodness but um there was there was one thing in that chap with that part of it where, um, they bring up you know Fred and George and um, maybe Fred and George can help Hermione with their problem, and this is the first that we see that Ron maybe has some lingering um, effects of being you know knocked out because he can't remember why she would need the bruising potion, and I was just. I like stored that away in my mind because yeah. I, I was I thought maybe that would have some bearing later on in the story. The fact that right. he's kind of having these memory holes. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like a lot of what Melinda does uh, in the story is she adds little pieces to the storyline that maybe don't play off in a big way, but they really add some sense of realism to the story. I mean. Okay, the plot line with Hermione losing her hair. You know, it gives that great moment with, uh, you know, Ginny and uh, Fleur, and, you know, it, it kind of brings Hermione more closely in with the Weasleys, and it's, it's a really feel-good scene. But when you think about it, okay, you have that, and you have, you know, Ron's injuries before, and you have Harry's repeated injuries throughout the fic. Everything kind of slowly builds together, and you get the sense when you're like for example i'm nearly done with the fic i'm on chapter like 31 or something like that and looking back on it i'm looking back on the journey that the trio and the jenny and that the order goes through and i can really it doesn't feel like it's been like a week it doesn't feel like it's been you know like a reset button you know star trek episode it feels like these people have lost along the way and the fact that ron has memory loss the the fact that you know hermione lost her hair it really shows that these characters have permanent scars from what's happened and you know i don't i never got the sense like you know reading it that you know by the end of it you know ron would forget you know who someone was or that it, it would play hugely into the plot but i really like the fact that things were taken away from these characters that they maybe wouldn't get back. I, I, I just thought that was 
that was a really important message to to get into the story. So I really did like that. It just kind of shows, you know, you know, J.K.R. said, you know, some things are permanent. Death is permanent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's important that we see that magic is not a fix-all, you know, and sometimes it causes more problems than it creates. So yeah. uh, it causes more problems than it fixes. There we go. Instead of, let's pick two words that mean opposites instead of two similes. <laughs> well okay. done. Well done, Bay the Chi. Oh, God. <sighs> it's going to be a good episode It's going to be a wonderful guys. episode. But yeah, I wasn't in uh, last week's episode, but because uh, I was off, you know, popping the question and trying to kill cockroaches. But we didn't talk about it. Well, we were talking about you and your car getting away from you, so we didn't have time. That so wasn't important. Oh, I made Jen <laughs> cry. Jen, she's like, oh. Jen, would you like to talk about it for ten seconds? Ryan got engaged. <laughs> it was a Harry Potter-related <laughs> engagement, and I defaced. Order of the Phoenix and Goblet of the Fire. Wrote it in it twice. But I got engaged, so it worked. I out heard about it. Go to parfictforum.com and register and find out what I did. All right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Do you guys still have you? Surely you kept the books, right? Yes. Yes. You can give this oh, to your children. That'll yes. be really. Sweet. And they'll have no idea what's going on when they read it. They're going to be like, "What? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I'm confused." Uh, but one thing I do want to say is um, I wasn't in last week's episode, so I wasn't there during the early character arc of Hermione when she loses her hair. When I first uh, was reading that, Hermione was in her depression, and I didn't know why Melinda put that in there. And reading it for the first time, I didn't really appreciate the plot line. I thought it was kind of like a weird kind of... It's, it was almost like, you know if Harry lost his hand, you know, the depression he would go through, it didn't seem like something that was so serious, you know, losing your hair that, Mm -hmm. you know, for someone like Hermione, who's been through so much and lost so much and lost people she knew that she would, you know, get so depressed about it. And it almost seemed like something that, you know, belonged more like in a Saved by the Bell episode than, you know, in the final Harry Potter installment. And that said, when we get to the point that we're at tonight and you start to see how it's just basically layered pieces of plot that's you know built up and been established you know after you know chapter after chapter after chapter. I look back at it you know much more favorably, and I think it was actually something that Melinda got a lot of material out of. I actually really did appreciate it in retrospect. So I wasn't there last week, so I just wanted to throw that little bit of yeah. discussion in there. I don't mm-hmm. think you can really appreciate how devastating it would be because you're not a girl. <laughs> and I, like, I have a shaved you know, head. Yeah, I'm like, ah, you're fine. Yeah. I guess the next point I wanted to um, kind of talk about, they're all sitting down at the table. And, like, if this is moving too far ahead for everybody, just stop me. Mm-hmm. But they're all sitting down at the table, and they're kind of, like, exchanging these barbs um, about, uh, you know, the Malfoys are kind of sitting on one side, the Malfoys and the Parkinson's, and the everybody else is kind of sitting on the other side and they're just kind of they're being very um civilized evil is kind of how i that was my yeah. note <laughs> they're like being very civilized but being very rude to each other and i kind of i was just kind of off put a little bit by the fact that harry was kind of vindicated by his own fin- financial success you know, in the face of Malfoy, who has no longer access to his funds or doesn't have access to the Malfoy family fortune, it just seemed a little bit too vindictive for Harry. Like, it just seemed like, because money never hasn't really mattered all that much to Harry. It, money is just kind of a fact of life to Harry, and I don't mm-hmm. think he would ever, like, 
some like Ron would would rub Harry's financial success in somebody else's face. I don't think Harry would think of that. That wouldn't be one of the things that he would think of off the top of his head. I was just curious to see what you guys thought. I have I agree that I didn't think that he would go so far with the money in the house and the ownership because as far as I knew, Harry didn't want Grimmauld Place. And in this fake, it's sort of like he's accepted that it's his and that, um, yeah, it's so hard because there's not much else that we can throw at Draco right now. And that seems to be the the easiest thing to bring up. And, And in context of the story, it sort of fits because, I don't know, I I agree. I think that maybe if she had added a line or something about Harry not really meaning putting any meaning behind it or just saying saying it because he knew that would hurt Draco the most. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a little it was a little funny for me too, I have to admit. Well, I was thinking that too, just you know, it's the one thing he can rub in Draco's face is that he's got money and Draco doesn't. Yeah, I'm going to take a different tact on it cuz I'm going to say this. Harry grew up in a broom closet essentially and he never had anything and when he found out he had money he still didn't care and all he wanted to do was to help the Weasleys and and give the money to whoever needed it the money never mattered to him and now he owns you know Grimmel Place and he has you know the Black Family Fortune and he doesn't care because he would give it all back to get Sirius back He, he doesn't care about these things the only one who cares about these things the only one who cares about money and you know pots and any of this stuff is Malfoy and Malfoy is the one who continuously brings this up. And to Harry, it's not um, you know, a, a matter of riches. It's not a matter of who owns more or who has you know, more real estate or whatever. To Harry, it's that he is taking in the guy who has never given him anything. The guy who has made you know, six years of his life a living hell. The guy who tried to kill his mentor. You know, he took this person in and his mother in. And they have never said thank you. They have never indicated that they remotely appreciate it, and they treat Harry and the people who he has also taken in like they're the busboys, and they're, you know, the cooks, and they're, like, they're in a fancy hotel. So for Harry, he is basically, I think, using the fact that he has money because it is the only thing that Draco cares about. I think he's using it because he knows that that's what Draco judges things by. I don't think Harry really cares. Yeah, I agree with that. And plus, it was um, it was Ginny that brought up the fact originally that, you know, he's got the money. She says, enjoy the fact that you can lavishly spend the Black family fortune while the Malfoys have no access to their funds. So it wasn't even Harry that brought it up in the first place. Yeah, and it's the other thing, too. It's that Draco, like, like I said, doesn't appreciate remotely the fact that Harry is, you know, giving him anything. And there's the reference to Draco as all the, you know, his plate is overflowing with the same food that came from the Black family fortune. So it's not like, you know, Draco's saying you shouldn't spend it, you shouldn't spend it, you know, you all are, you know, depleting what isn't yours. Well, Draco's doing it too. And to Harry, I don't think it has anything to do with money. I think it has to do with the fact that Harry is giving something, anything. It could be five galleons or it could be, you know, the, the entire Black family fortune. Harry is giving something to Draco, and Draco is not appreciative of that. I think that's the main point. Harry, I, I'm going to just bound off here. I just don't think that Harry understands not being grateful. I don't think Harry can understand the selfishness that, that Draco displays here. I think it's kind of... It's interesting because we have, you know, Harry and Malfoy who are so similar in so many ways, but so different in other ways. 
But, you know, moving on from that, that conversation where they're talking about, you know, the money, um, the one, the one aspect of it I really enjoyed, um, just because I was teeing with the rest of them, was when Harry was talking about his plans to make Grimmauld Place into a center for muggle wizard relations. <laughs> and just getting to see, like, Narcissa, like, turn six colors of red. I was so, <laughs> I was, like, laughing so hard. Yeah, and he obviously does that because uh, Ron lets slip the fact that Dudley Dursley is a wizard. And right. he tries to get, you know, the, the, the conversation steered off course. I think he successfully does. He gets the conversation away from that. And it just, to, to ricochet off what we were just saying a second ago, too, you know, you have Harry basically coming down to Draco's level and, you know, talking about the money. And his basic point is, I don't give a damn about it. I'll give the whole thing away. I'll give away everything that matters to you guys because it does not matter to me at all. And you hear, you know... Draco and, you know, the Parkinson's and everyone just, you know, aghast that how you would allow muggles into, you know, the black family, because it doesn't matter to Harry. This is, he hates Grimmauld Place. He would never come back here if he ever had the opportunity to go anywhere else. And, yeah. it, 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 and I just I just think that's, that's just a tremendous, you know, difference between him and these other people. Yeah. I have to say that I, I really particularly liked that Percy showed up for Christmas. And especially yeah. yes. in later chapters when we find out what happens, I was... I, I really liked him coming, and I like how she wrote him. I thought that she really captured what I consider to be Percy. You know, that, I don't see Percy pomposity. as evil or just—he's just such a a do-gooder and such a um, you know, one of those people that minds the rules even if and never questions them. It doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him a bit of a cheap. I, I wouldn't even say cheap. I mean. They're just a little one-minded, I think, at times. And, and so I really liked that he came and and that he was just very stiff and formal because he still gives Jenny a kiss on the cheek. You know, I mean, he's still her brother. He still loves them. He's just so different from everybody else. He rang the doorbell, and I'm not sure why that seems as strange to me as it did. I didn't think it had a doorbell. <laughs> did he knock on the door? Did, what did he do? Did, how, he, he, there was a doorbell. There was a doorbell? It was a doorbell. Yeah, there, I'm yeah. saying, I didn't think there was a doorbell at Grim Old Place. You know what? I, it I, would just seem odd. Yeah, I got like, this. You have this, like, Fidelis charmed building, then you have a doorbell. Well, don't you have to think of it? Like, you have to have it in your mind to see it? Well, Percy knows where it is, because the whole point is he took the unbreakable vow earlier in the episode. He's been there before. No, actually, no, he hasn't been there before. No, he was evacuated there. So, really? I'm sure he's been earlier in the really earlier in the episode, Brian. No, re- did I say the episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, some of these episodes feel like they're 27 hours long, so it could have been earlier in the episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was evacuated there after the wedding. He wasn't there during Order of the Phoenix, but uh, he does know where it is. I just thought it was funny because I got this image in my mind when the doorbell rang that, you know, they're all standing around enjoying the Christmas party and the doorbell rings and they all look at each other like, we have a doorbell? <laughs> no one's ever <laughs> rang the doorbell. I just got that image in my mind. And of course you're like, I don't know why, but I figured it was like a Death Eater attack of some kind. Then I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, why would the Death Eaters ring the doorbell? <laughs> yeah, that's Snape's master plan to, you know, invade Grimble Place. Just ring the doorbell. They'll never suspect anything. So right. I, I just found that some of the music yeah this is he gets in and oh there's mother over by the tree like none like they like they would call molly mother but yeah it's percy yeah. percy's special a little yeah. special yeah every family has one he's theirs it's funny <laughs> how he's like the most straight laced and yet he would be considered the black sheep of that family yeah 
That's true. Well, they're so you know, quirky. Think about it. Yeah. That was the thing um, Zhenya said um, when we interviewed her a few weeks ago. She was talking about the guy who reviewed Half-Blood Prince who had never read any of the Harry Potter novels and how, you know, he, he saw Fleur as, like, the normal everyday girl in the book. I have no, no idea how we got that, but she's the normal everyday girl and nobody in the family likes her. It's, yeah, it's like the one straight-laced guy in the family and, of course, he's the outcast who we never talked to because he's something funny up with that guy. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Now, yeah. now here's the thing. You know how I'm talking, you know, for the last few weeks about, you know, get Harry drunk, get the kids drunk, and then, you know, you can really have fun with the characters and the writing, and you can get them kind of off, you know, their character track a little bit and make them say new and interesting things. I love the fact when, you know, Harry, you know, is is taking in, you know, Ginny's Christmas outfit, you know, he wonders what it would look like on the floor. Yeah, I went back to um, Harry, you know, Ginny in the the lake water. <laughs> it, was, it was such a smut moment that I... Oh, my God. Ginny in the lake water? Night. We had this great conversation. You'll have oh. to listen to it. It's so funny. But exactly. I'm glad you were having the same thought I was having. I was like... I was like, smut! <laughs> um, exactly. I was just waiting and- for like that that awkward like under the hearth like smut scene i don't know her hairy is so smooth like i know what a smooth talker they'd look better off you or I'm, but I'm so glad you said that because i've used that line before too and i'm glad to know i was smooth using it carry on <laughs> <laughs> oh god i would have had a field day Oh. <laughs> well, I wish I knew. I would have called you. <laughs> oh, God. That is just hysterical. That is just, like, what? It's horrendous. What, honestly, though, what 17-year-old boy <laughs> thinks of that? Like, while he's drooling. I was like, 24 what when I said it. Yeah, yeah, it's like. Good I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I liked the romance, but it was just, then it was just kind of like, oh, baby. And then it moved on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I can't say that I don't like it because I live for that kind of stuff, but her Harry is a lot more mature, I think, than... than yeah, it was Harry. one step above come here often. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Melinda, um, I love you. I was just going to um, see if we could maybe just talk a little bit about um, Melinda's Draco Malfoy because... You know, we've talked a little bit about Harry's um, reaction or his interaction with uh, Malfoy, but I have a note here that, you know, it's really, um, it's good for the audience to see how Harry is reacting to seeing Malfoy act like a normal human being, you know, where Park, uh, Pansy is eating his green beans and they're being very lovey-dovey. And, you I know, thought it was sweet. I love the direction Melinda's taking Draco. I just... He's going to be good. Yeah. Maybe. She's... She's slowly building a character we can care about. It, the, one of the best things about Melinda's writing, in my opinion, is how she builds a story. It's, you know, she built a very broad base, and then she it's like she's building a pyramid of a story. And everything is just kind of gathering to this apex moment that we haven't gotten to yet. And I think, you know, Malfoy is an integral part of that. Yeah, because here's the one thing, and obviously we've had this discussion, um, you know, to death between with Renner at one end and Jen at the other, you know, over Draco. But the one thing that really will make, you know, Draco either, you know, a three-dimensional, you know, very grade, you know, guy that you really can't put in the good or the bad camp, and you know, like the one-dimensional, you know, evil monster, and you know, 
Draco's a character that, depending on the fic, you can really do a lot with him. He's kind of like Snape. Is he good? Is he evil? Is he in the middle? Is he nothing? Um, and what Melinda did with Draco is she gave him one vulnerability. Now, you know, I made fun of last week, you know, he's antiquing, he's, you know, putting the pot back together with his hands. You know, that's, you know, whether you like that scene or you don't, I personally didn't, but whether you like that scene or you don't, it shows that Draco is someone who is obsessed with, you know, wealth, with status, you know, and how that manifests itself is open to interpretation. But that's basically the, the, the backbone of the Draco character. What she did was she gave him one vulnerability. He cares for Pansy. And I've read fix before where nothing... Draco doesn't care. He doesn't care about any people around him. You know, he he's kind of like... Uh, you know, Tom Riddle was described in, in, in Half-Blood Prince. He's someone who just, he didn't care for the people around him. He didn't need these people. Maybe he loves his mother. Maybe he loves his father. But he doesn't need people. And what she did was she she gave him the character of Pansy, and he cares about what happens to her. And I, we, as you know, the, as the readers, have no earthly idea why, because she's an, you know, an awful human being. But Draco cares f- for Pansy. And it's okay that we don't understand why and that we don't feel it and we don't feel for that character but this is a draco who there is something that matters to him and that's all you need to know is that this isn't you know completely mwahaha evil draco something matters to this character oh yes i like draco i know you do jen and they keep sneaking off together yes jen wants to follow them with like binoculars oh (laughs) i don't know he's not wearing leather (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> kind of let down um, I will say one of the best parts of this chapter in my mind just because it was so interesting um, to me was a comparison of Umbridge to uh, Prime Minister Chamberlain of Britain in the 1930s yeah. it's a very um, it's a very lovely mention of history and calls to mind comparisons we've drawn before you know of Voldemort to Hitler, the Death Eaters to the KKK. You know, we we're all of us who are fans. We make these connections in our minds. And I had never, you know, if you put Umbridge in this situation, you know, it was just it was kind of one of those things where it, it wasn't like Melinda was showing off how intelligent she was, but it yeah. really does demonstrate how intelligent Melinda really is to draw this comparison. Yeah, and I mean, it's something that and people talk over me because I don't want to monopolize the conversation, but. Um, one th- like I made fun of this in the last episode I was in. You know, there's that certain thing when you look at like the top five, you know, cliches in fan fiction. You have to have the drunk scene. You have to have the scene where you know they go on the internet. You have to have the scene where they talk about you know. No, I'm you know, serious. Yes, what? Yeah, you have to have. No, I'm serious. It's like you have to have you know these like staples of fan fiction. You have to fit as many of them into a fic, and this didn't feel like that. It felt like something incredibly relevant because, and and. If I had any complaints about these chapters that we're talking in, it was that, you know, it, it seemed like Melinda, you know, was trying to tell two stories at once. She was trying to tell, you know, the, the, the journey to the Horcruxes and, you know, the destruction of Voldemort and the end of the Harry Potter tale. And she was also trying to tell the story of what happens to people in the time of war. And I think they're both incredibly well-written plot lines. It almost seemed like they each could have been their own story, if that makes any sense. And I know that I personally never really got the sense in reading this that, I mean, yes, it's all about, we're being told constantly there's a war and and Harry's going to fight it and and it's war, you know. But 
I'm not devastated by the war, and I don't know for some reason I'm just not bothered by it very much. Perhaps I'm just too used to it. But what kills me is when we keep she's starting. I think in this chapter she's really started giving us some character depth, like real character depth, and allowing us to care about characters that we're losing. And in that, I I like I feel like this is a slightly different Harry journey. Because it's kind of, I know that she and I talked a little bit about how we didn't feel necessary, or I didn't feel necessarily that this was a, an emotional uh, related emotion. How did I say it? I don't even remember. This is a more plot driven fake. Yeah. And and starting here, we start to care about Percy and Draco and the Remus. You know, some of these characters that have just kind of been here and there popping up. It is certainly a plot driven. Um, fic. I will disagree, though, and I feel like this is actually one of the fics where I really do sense the war going on much better than I do, number one, in other fics, number two, in the canon, because what Melinda does in the story is she essentially takes it to the worst-case scenario. The Ministry falls. Voldemort controls the Ministry. And people, you know, question all the time, what does that mean? You know, on Pottercast, I know they joked, like, you know, what would he do? Would it be like an office space and Voldemort's worried about, <laughs> about the TPS reports? It's, it's what do, what happens when he defeats the Ministry? What does he do then? Does he kill everyone on the, on the planet except the Death Eater? Like, what does he do then? And I think what this fic did really was it, it brought the story to the worst-case scenario. The Ministry falls. The, you know, the, the Order is all that is left fighting the Death Eaters, and I thought that was, you know, a very profound example of, you know, of, of wartime. And to bring it back to the to, to Umbridge and, and to Chamberlain, examine the character of Dolores Umbridge. Umbridge is, you know, the woman who sent the Dementors after Harry, and she got to play principal at Hogwarts for a while, and she did illegal things and didn't get caught. And she did heinous things and never got called on it, and she essentially got away with it. And what Melinda really tells is, in times, it, it's 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 the old expression: in times of war, the laws fall silent. And you know, okay, you're you're the people of of a nation, and you're at war. How much are you willing to give up to feel safe? It doesn't matter if you are safe, but you want to feel safe. You don't want to have to worry about this pesky war anymore. And essentially, what Melinda tells here is, a lot of people are stupid. And a lot of people will accept what they're told because they don't want to have to think about it. They just want their normal lives back. And what's more important than that is even though a lot of people are stupid, there is a sizable minority of people who will stand up for anything. And I think that's really the 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 the, the story that Melinda's telling here, that most of the wizarding world wants the war to be over. And I think they would even capitulate to Voldemort if they could get it. And there's this percentage of the people that will stand and will fight. And that's really, I think, a great way to showcase the character of Dolores Umbridge. Because she's not... Here's the thing. Dolores Umbridge isn't a death either. And she's not someone, I think, who wakes up every day and says, I want to destroy the Wizarding World. I think Umbridge really thought that she would, you know, be able to, you know, stand up and she would be able to end the war with Voldemort and she would be able to be seen as, you know, she would, she would you know, bring in, you know, a thousand years of peace and, and the Muggleborns would be, you know, cast out of the Wizarding World and... The good of the the good of the many outweigh the 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 need of the one. Or you know, she's willing to sacrifice Harry. She's yeah. willing 
Because for the greater good, yeah, she's a hero. Yeah, in her eyes, she's not evil. And that's what we've been talking about all along. Voldemort doesn't even think he's evil. No bad guy wakes up in the morning and says, I am the bad guy and they are the good guy. Because it's all about perceptions. I really think that when Umbridge wakes up in the morning, she sees herself as a good person who's doing the right thing. And that's fascinating, because I think that she is one of the more scary villains I've ever you know, rather than a fic because mm-hmm. she's so insidious and she's so racist and she's so closed minded that, you know, essentially Umbridge lost like Chamberlain lost because she was stupid and she yeah, doesn't not, remember history. Yeah. And that's really the message that about, you know, the, uh, the Chamberlain connection is that, you know, people are sheep and leaders are stupid if they think that they're going to get away with what they think they can get away with. Yeah. Yeah. When you and, underestimate and he, other people. Yeah. I've said it once and I've said it a thousand times. I think Dolores Umbridge is a much more scary villain than Voldemort is. She is. Definitely. And um, because there are people really like that. You can run into, like, you can run into psychos in your lifetime, true psychos. But you're only going to run into, a, like, they're like one in a million chance of running into somebody exactly like Voldemort. You have a much greater chance of running into somebody exactly like Umbridge in yeah. your lifetime. Somebody who. Get, gets a little bit of power, becomes obsessed with it, and makes all their decisions from a faulty standpoint. A standpoint they don't see as wrong. She's a, she's a much, she's like the, you know, you're the guy down your street running for senator. That's, mm-hmm. that's the reality of Umbridge. Whereas Voldemort is your Charles, Charles Manson type character. Yeah. So. And the, and the, here's the thing. You could have two different stories with Umbridge. You could have a type of story where, you know, she was getting away with murder and people didn't know about it. And, you know, Harry's goal and the Order's goal was to expose Umbridge. But here's the difference. What's more insidious about this plot line and what makes it more angsty, and I think makes it a much more interesting read, is that people know exactly what Umbridge is doing. These are good, hardworking people, you know, the people you'd like to know. They know what she's doing and they're going to let her do it. They're going to get rid of the Muggleborns. They're going to give Voldemort what he wants. They're going to give up. And there's a percentage of the people who are willing to do that. So for every Neville and every Luna and every Weasley you have, you have someone else, you know, that you may have liked right before all this happened that are willing to go the other way inside with Dolores Umbridge. And that's the scary part because these aren't people, you know, under mind control or under the imperious curse or being lied to. These people know what they're doing and they're still willing to give up. And I just, I I thought that was a much more, fascinating way to take the story moving on a little bit what did y'all think about harry um opening uh credit lines all over hog whatever diagon alley or hogsmeade so that mrs weasley could go shopping as free as she wanted i thought that was actually interesting because my first thought was someone's gonna try and take out molly when she's out shopping i was surprised she was actually leaving yeah the place yeah, yeah I'm, I'm noticing how it's everybody's hiding and it's doom and war and and then like Fred and George go to work and yeah <laughs> I, I don't I don't know it doesn't quite seem like the secret order I thought it was very practical and it's something that I thought I would see Harry offer because I myself has have wondered who's feeding everybody and where are they getting the money yeah you know but I, but it, I don't know I never thought past that um. Well, my thing I always thought was I always figured the Weasleys were poor and had a crappy house because they spent all of their money on food because it seems like everybody gets three pounds of bacon every morning. So I figured that must have had to cost a lot. It's amazing they're not all fat. It's amazing <laughs> everybody in these books isn't fat. 
They <laughs> do eat a lot. Their cholesterol. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to see, like, Madame Pomfrey, like, check Harry's cholesterol and, like, her eyes bug out of her head? She's like, what have you been eating for the past seven years? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But anyway, I, I guess I just thought that the Weasleys wouldn't be so quick to, um, to take his ch- charity. It seems like... Harry's yeah. pretty much supporting the Order of the Phoenix now. Yeah, single-handedly. <laughs> Single. There's, it kind of, is that? Did everybody else get that? Like I get, and I you know, here we too. are. Yeah. You know, there are parts where I'm like, you know, Harry seems a bit more mature than I thought, and then I'm like, well, yeah, he's freaking supporting everybody. Everyone should be doing whatever he wants, whatever he says. Well, yeah, the thing is, if you really start to think about, it, I think it's interesting. We're so willing to accept the fact that the Weasleys are going to say, you know what, we're going to let you take our ki- our two of our kids and just go off and like on like a undercover CIA mission, which is essentially what these kids are doing. They're yeah. like, this is like Operation Desert Storm. It's like four kids, <laughs> and we'll be back by dinner. We just have to go and, like, bomb Yugoslavia. Like, it's just, it's like, like, when you stop to think about what's really happening here, like, we accept yeah. that, but we're like, Harry loaned Mrs. Weasley $20. I don't think she'd accept it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, when you yeah. stop to think about what they're willing to accept, I don't think she's going to, like, let them take Ginny and, like, go off to, to Albania for a month, but she won't accept his offer to pick up the tab for dinner. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had we had conversations about how unlikely we thought it was that, you know, they would get away with what they're doing in this, this story. So I don't think it's that we're necessarily ignoring that side of things. So I loved the mistletoe. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's and like my alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> Red alert, snogging, snogging. <laughs> oh, you know, get that was cute. That was cute. I'm not going to lie. I loved that, yes. Oh, Hurricane's Dungeon. <laughs> yeah, one thing I really liked, though, and this is just to back up a little bit, I really liked the point where Harry identified Voldemort as a half-blood, and, like, Narcissa yes. freaks out. And the Weasleys what? are like, who told you that, Harry? Was it Dumbledore? It's like, when you think about it, that's not common knowledge. And that was just another reference, I think, to Hitler, obviously, with his, you know, visions of the Third Reich and of the Aryan race. You know, Hitler mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, you know, a short guy with black hair and one testicle. I mean, when you really yeah. start to think about it. But I just thought that was a great moment, the fact that Harry has this, you know, secret information that Voldemort's a half-blood. Then I would stop to think about it. I'm like, he could really, you know, just ruin Voldemort through, you know, a bad propaganda campaign. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to take a lesson from the Allies there. Exactly. Do you know what Dark Lord you're following? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Dark Lord. <laughs> oh, man. I just keep thinking of Batman. Batman. Why are you thinking of Batman, Jen? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um. So I really liked Ginny's present. I did. And, I and at, at the, I have to admit that when they first started doing the presents, I really was doing, like, I, I was going to the gift of the Magi in my head, and like that they actually got it right. You know, they didn't screw up at the end. Uh huh. Do you know what I mean? No. You've gone like, completely it, crazy in the last minute. Run no, you're on Batman, now you're on the Gift of the Magi. And we no, no, no. About. Like, okay, y'all know this story of the Gift of the Magi. Tell us the story of the Gift of the Magi. Where the girl has the long hair and the boy has the watch and he goes and sells his watch to get her breasts for her hair and she goes and cuts her hair to get money for him, uh, a, ba- a new band for his watch. Okay. Oh, uh, that's her. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah so it's like that, you know? the gift of the Magi, except that they get it right. I thought... So you were afraid that Harry would, uh, would, would buy the pendant for Ginny and he would pay for it by chopping his hand off and not be able to wear the bracelet. No. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I was it just waiting for... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not nuts. No, God. you're not. I just, I had such a hard time because it got to the point where she was describing the bracelet and I think she said a braided rope bracelet. And yeah, like, I was like a thread colors. thing. I was going... <laughs> Like when I made when I was in grade school, I was thinking lanyards. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, she I makes them in ashtray. <laughs> I'm like trying to like I don't know. I just thought that that was a little bit. I'm trying to think of a really good PC way to say this. Um, effeminate for Harry. Like that was a little too grade school girl. Like I can't see him being like, oh gee, a threaded bracelet. Just what I've always wanted. <laughs> So I can, I'm a millionaire, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bought you this Harry beautiful pendant. I made you an ashtray in art class. I love you. <laughs> now, oh. to be fair, Jenny probably doesn't have a lot of money, and it was probably yeah. the thought that counts. But no, yeah. would have been funny. She should have made it out of like leftover hair that she had, because <laughs> you know, like all of her gifts that year could have just been based around like you know the, the hair that she chopped off. I thought that would have been great. like to come to the end of the chapter because yes we've covered one of our six chapters for the night (laughs) they have a sing-along they have a sing-along and the chapter ends and percy leaves he makes a reference to the fact that you know the ministry keeps the skeletal staff on at night and that brings back to everyone's you know the forefront of everyone's mind that the war is still going on and they had a great party and they put the war aside for a night but it's still there and it, it, the, the party turns very somber. Harry's chest filled with emotion as he held both Ginny and Hermione's hands and sang carols with this ragtag group he called family. His gaze swept by Ron, Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, and everyone else in this room, and he knew that no matter what happened in the coming year, if he found the last Horcrux or not, if he lived or died, the same group of people would be here next year, still fighting, still struggling to go on. That, more than anything gave him a renewed determination to move forward. Gatherings like this one must be allowed to continue. For the first time, Harry began to understand the power that Dumbledore had told him was his greatest strength. This feeling inside him was more intense than anything he'd ever experienced, more intense than even the Cruciatus. This was something that Voldemort had never known. That just sums up Harry Potter, I think, in one paragraph. You know, don't give up, keep fighting, because there's things in life that are worth fighting for and even dying for. And I think that... I was saying before that I really feel as though Ginny is Harry's hope. And even if Harry has no hope to live, the fact that the Weasleys go on gives him hope to fight. I just thought that was a awesome way to end the chapter. 
I agree that it was a good that it was a good ending and it was kind of a good end of the Christmas chapter, but I think when I read it I was just like oh, they're having another one more moment of peace <laughs> before things happen again. Like, you know, do you you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Because I don't, it's, like, it's like there's war, there's war out there, but we're going to hang out for two months and not do anything. And then yeah. we're going to go out. And, and now it's like, you know, one more time again, this is the last time. You know, I don't know. There's a lot of space between the action. It just seems kind of drawn out to me. Well, there's, yeah. Yeah, there, I think there definitely yeah. is in the story. Although I will say with this one point that Harry ex- expects this to be his last Christmas. And he's good as says that at many points that this is him trying to soak up the last of everything. This is him trying to enjoy life to the fullest. And I really do think that when he looks at the Weasleys here, it's, he doesn't know what's coming. He doesn't know what his future holds, but he does know that the Weasleys will be celebrating a Christmas next year. He doesn't know if he'll be there or not, but he knows they'll be celebrating a Christmas next year. And I think that was just the one thing I really pulled from that. The fact that there's so many unknowns, but that was the one thing he did get. Now, I do agree that there's lots of gaps in the action and the story as it continues forward, but I, that was the one thing I took here. Yeah, I think that was very nice. Did anyone else notice that, uh, she never mentions that the Malfoys or the Parkinsons leave. So are they in there singing and holding hands too? <laughs> I, I cannot picture Narcissa uh, like no. holding Molly's hand. Kumbaya. Draco and Harry again. <laughs> Let's get it off. Draco and Harry are spooning in the corner. Narcissa and Molly are, yeah. In leather. In leather. No. Um. <laughs> I was wondering about that. <laughs> No, didn't it reference the fact that they... Did they go upstairs at one point and continue? Well, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. sure. I didn't see that, though. I think they walked into that sitting room, and then it never mentions them again. No, Dr- no yeah. I'm sorry. Was it... It was um, it was uh, Draco and Pansy threatened to go upstairs and have their own celebration, and that made Ron visibly ill. Am I remembering that yeah. correctly? Okay. Yeah, I think so. And moving on to Chapter 19. Jen, do you know the title of Chapter 19? Tightening of the noose. It's not tightening with the noose. It says of. Tightening by the noose. At the noose. We have to make sure we get the right preposition. 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 (laughs) Oh, Melinda. Oh, Oh, dear. (laughs) Lord, heaven forbid you make any mistakes. I know, because we'll find them. We will find them. Can I just tell you, I was um, I was instant messaging Chi the other night. I was reading one. I think I was reading like chapter twenty six or twenty seven. And at one point, Melinda meant to type "going" and she typed "gong." And all I could think of was the gong of of Jen. And I just started laughing hysterically at like this very somber <laughs> moment in the story. I could, like start giggling. It was kind of funny. <laughs> I don't even want to think about all the typos in my stories. I just don't want to. It's- I hate when people point them out too. I'm like, I don't care. I'm thinking of a very special episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm that involves an obituary. So I'm just moving on from there. If you've seen it, you know the one I'm talking about. Oh my goodness. Moment of silence. No one here does. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to get people like emailing me. I loved it. All right. So So this chapter, I have to say that we get to talk about the bed situation. I was just going to say the sleeping arrangements. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Does anybody else? Okay, Jen, you remember how yes. we were talking about the scene with the inferi where, you know, obviously her, um, <laughs> Jenny's robes are half open and she's laying yes, with her taut arm. Yes. Yeah. This is another um, classic 
romance novel we have to stay in one room scenario, you know? Why was that? So they could defend each other in case of enemy attack? But you know, (laughs) maybe they're just trying to save some money. You know, he has been supporting the the order. (laughs) I don't see Hermione putting the bill out for all these hotel rooms. Can I just say something? Can you imagine, like, if you're, like, 16 years old and you read the story and you have your senior prom coming up and you're, 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 like, doubling with another couple... And, like, you book one room, and you're like, we need to be able to defend ourselves in case of enemy attack <laughs> is the excuse. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, Mom. We need one room in case the Death Eaters attack us. Like- no, I actually thought, I just, I'll, I'll edit this. I actually thought this is what we were going to get at the beginning of After the End when, I think it was Sirius says, you know, two rooms, two beds, knock yourselves out with the sleeping arrangements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I did love that, too. Now, the fact, here's the thing. Ron as I said earlier, you know, it has the subtlety of, of a snowplow. Teaspoon. Yeah. Yes. And I, I love the fact that he refuses to let Harry and Ginny sleep together. He's not but, sleeping with Ginny. So I guess he'll just, you know, Hermione wins by default. Well, he's not sleeping with Harry because he's a dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that <laughs> was... are so dumb, honestly. I, I thought that was funny, though. I, I really did think I that was I liked it. Oh, I loved yeah. it. I did but think boys it, are still stupid. Well, weren't they spooning together at the end of chapter one? Did then we determine they were spooning together? They were yeah. not. They weren't even in the same bed. Well, I just thought that was funny. And Harry he, was weeping. Here's the thing. I would think that, you know, to keep Harry out of a bed with his sister, Ron would spoon with Harry. I thought, it's like they, they've, they've, uh, they've, they've been on the same Quidditch team. I'm sure they've done the shower thing at, at Hogwarts. I, I don't think that Ron would get that weirded out by sleeping in the same bed as Harry. I'm pretty sure. And, like, Ron grew up with how many older brothers? Yeah. Yeah, seriously. He would probably be the least... He just wanted to sleep with Hermione, please. Yeah. I loved Hermione's thought here, too. She's like, I win by default, and Ron... She's a little minx. (laughs) She's all... I would so be playing that card. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love how Ron um, pushes Hermione's buttons all the time. You know, and he's just, just, like, trying to get a reaction out of her, trying to get a reaction out of her. And finally, like, she rewards him by, like, okay, I'll sleep with you, but you go, you and Harry go look for the tan museum, and Jenny and I will go search for something different. <laughs> like, <laughs> fine, you can sleep with me, but you're not spending any time with me, buddy. <laughs> and I love the moment where, you know, like, her, Harry agrees he'll sleep with both Hermione and Ginny, and Ron can have the other bed. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> you can see the wheels moving in Ron's head, and he's like... I think I'd rather just get killed by the Death Eaters. <laughs> and Jenny's just like hopping up and down like, yeah, that sounds great. Threesome! <laughs> and it's just one of, it's one of the reasons I love Harry Potter so much in Harry Potter fan fiction. You can literally have, you know, you're going to be annihilated by the worst Dark Lord in the history of the world. But breaking news, we need to find out where we're going to sleep on the way there. It's just, it's just like the problems these kids have. All right. Everything else what did y'all think of the Rowena Ravenclaw Museum? My question is, why was there a Death Eater outside of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I guess maybe because, you know, the Voldemort might have thought that Harry was on to him with the Horcruxes, maybe. But was there a Horcrux there, there? There wasn't a Horcrux there. No, I don't yeah, think so. No. They just went sightseeing. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was just this random, like, Death Eater in the alleyway. And I'm like, what? You know, no. you hadn't had any you hadn't had any drama for a chapter, so you needed to have the 
action sequences. You, you know what? And yeah. This is my actual reaction to this. It seems like there's a few points in the story where we go on this random, like, branch that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it's like the Riddle House and the Ravenclaw Museum. I don't know why they're in the story other than, you know, to hear Harry do his vampire voice and to fight over sleeping arrangements. <laughs> I don't see, they don't, plot-wise, they don't bring us anywhere other than they show that there are some missed opportunities that we want to Well, Hermione play. goes shopping. Did she go shopping? I didn't remember. Oh, she did. Okay, she did so go shopping. So, I, I don't know. It's important work for the order, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I have, my notes on this section are so not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, she, go I, for I, it. I will be the judge of that. I have, I have a note here. It says, um, I like the oneless or the wordless magic disillusionment charm and the fact that Harry notes that he always performs better under pressure. But then, <laughs> don't we all? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> that was priceless. We're going to cut back to Harry at the end of After the End in the shower, staring down, saying, Don't let me down. Don't let me down. <laughs> <sighs> Harry with Ed. Oh, God. so then they call. Well, don't they decide to just hang out for another day or two? And they call Mr. Weasley, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll be home in a couple of days when we you know, quit shopping." <laughs> Mr. Weasley's like fighting off three Death Eaters in the background. <laughs> Have fun, kids. <laughs> He's like, "I'm so glad you're alive." And they're like, "Oh yeah, we've been fine, We're having a great time." Just take a little vacation. <laughs> Another one. No, I'm, I'm, ser- I'm serious. It's the last vacation. I'm serious. What What was at the Ravenclaw Museum? Was there anything actually there? That- no. No, I don't think anything <laughs> got saved from that at all. Like, I don't even think there was that much description of the museum itself. You know? This is, yeah, this is the I random chapter where they went to Canterbury. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't get it. But it's death is impending doom. Yes. You know, it's still overhead. Beware. So, you know, here's the thing. Like, I can understand that you send, you know, Crab to guard, you know, was it Crab or Goyle that was guarding the um It's one the of the cave. stupid ones. Yeah, one of the morons. <laughs> like, even that had a purpose. He sent a Death Eater to guard a museum with nothing of value in it. I, I don't know. Is he wearing a Death Eater costume? I mean, are they going around like the KKK members? <laughs> no, or, they, they don't they walk like around with the mask on. They get shot. They don't they have, have the mask on. They have name tags, Jen. Hi, I'm... <laughs> it's like Hello. they're labeled. Come on. And every time they turn around, it's like, oh, there's a group of Death Eaters. They all wear a I'm special like, jacket. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you know? That's the thing. It's not like Voldemort is, you know, giving them uniforms and dog tags and like things that you could identify them with like that's supposed to be the scary part is you're not really sure who's a death eater and who's not a death eater and yet harry is able to easily identify groups of death eaters when there's death eaters and wizards and are intermixed i don't know really could have used harry communist yeah (laughs) exactly oh so then so then we return to diagon alley Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And the proverbial <laughs> hits the van. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. And I love the fact. And it, like, here's the thing: you have every really good, I'd say, uh, Harry at Hogwarts fic has you know the especially Melinda. And I love the fact that Umbridge sends the Aurors in to 
try and sign a non-aggression <laughs> pact in the middle of the battle. Yeah. And the Death Eaters are, like, going for it. Well, no, they're blowing up the oars. Well, sort of. Well, some of them were talking but, but, to them. They were saying Avada Kedavra, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I think... I thought... I, got the, I was under the impression that a few of them were actually in talks. Like, they were having a conversation and... No, they were I, they were talking with each mm-hmm. other about let's blow those ones up over there. Like it, it was a very one sided <laughs> conversation. I, I guess I missed that. I was I, I liked Shannon so much. I was just kind of stuck on her. Yeah, <laughs> Shannon. I have so many notes about Shannon. Yes. I have to tell you, I I, I, I feel for Umbridge in the scene. I really do because I have a shed in my backyard and I have a groundhog which lives under the shed. Now my mother is very dainty person. We'll say. And my mother has informed me that she has a plan to deal with our squatting groundhog. She is going to go to Home Depot and she's going to buy a cage. And she is going to put on hockey equipment and she is going to lure the groundhog out into the open, catch it in the cage. She's going now this is like a forty pound groundhog. She's gonna put the groundhog in the trunk of her car, drive into the woods, let the groundhog go, and drive home and be free of the groundhog. That's her plan. <laughs> And I looked at her oh, like she was. A, and I looked at her like she was crazy. And she says, "Do you have a better idea?" I said, "Yes. Sign a non-aggression pact with the groundhog, <laughs> or call animal control." <laughs> so I, I like I. So I can feel for Umbridge trying to sign a non-aggression pact with the Death Eaters. No, really, I can't. So you have, and I really like the way the scene is told. You have Hermione with Shannon. You have Ron with his brothers, and you have Harry with Ginny, and. This is one of the scenes where, and Chi, you can definitely point this out, Fix have different Harrys. You have Harry, the school kid who needs to be protected by the Order. You have Harry who leads the Order. You have Harry who's the chosen one. Harry is really like the commander of this battle. Like, everyone is deferring to Harry. Mm-hmm. I made that note, too. And well, he chose to be commander. Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, He's tanked everything. Yeah, but Dumbledore chose him to be the, the keeper of the secret of what's going to happen. But I found it interesting that that Fred and George defaulted immediately to Harry. What do we do, Harry? And I couldn't tell how much of that was based on the fact that Dumbledore set Harry up to be the leader or that Harry was actually now the de facto leader. And I'm not really sure where that happened in canon or where that happened in the fic, but I, Harry has definitely come to the point now where he is seen by older people around him, people with more experience, you know, people, you know, who are supposed to be more mature than him and more, you know, knowledgeable than him, he is seen as the leader, even though he's 17 years old. I find that odd that the adults would turn to Harry to be leader when half of the adults have already fought in the previous war. So they would know more than Harry would about how to fight. You know, and where does Harry learn how to fight in war? Although, who are the people? Because we're in the, um, we're in the cafe, right? Well, we're in the cafe at this point, and you have... Yeah, no, yeah, we're in the cafe. Okay. And you have basically scared people, the waitress, and uh, the Weasleys. Is that right? Well, then I see turning to Harry. I guess I was jumping ahead. Yeah. Well, I think think that um, Canon and Harry is being set up for this role as well because, you know, even um, in, in situations, especially when there's a situation where you might encounter Dumbledore himself, adults defer to Harry, you know, um... I am. I had a really good canon example, and I lost it. But you know, even Dumbledore at the end of Half Blood Prince, when he's dying, he looks up at Harry, or not when he's dying, when he's you know ingested all that potion. 
he looks up at Harry and says, I feel safe with you, Harry. Yeah. Like, nothing can happen to me because I'm with you. Yeah. And I think that Harry is beginning to project, I think that's a good sign that Harry is beginning to project this aura of confidence and control. And, you know, um, Melinda even takes the time to tell us how attractive that makes Harry to Jenny. <laughs> Did anybody else read that? <laughs> My hero. Like, there's like My spells hero. going left and right all over him, and Jenny's looking up with him in these adoring eyes. Like he's exuding this mixture of confidence and um, hesitance, so sexy, and she could just jump his bones right then. My response like, would be, "It's time to duck." getting off the roof first. <laughs> like, wasn't he sort of beat up it. then? Like, I thought that it was, like, physical. Like, oh, he looks good and he's grim and dirty. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I think that is after he gets hit with a spell, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it ripped his shirt open like Kirk. Okay, I, I realize that neither Nikki or Jen has seen the third season of Battlestar Galactica, but you No, don't talk! No, 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 I'm no, not no, going no. to, but you will both basically love, um... You'll both basically love third season Lee. Oh, Lee's mm. hot. Yeah, yes. <laughs> now, I have a question. Neither of you has seen the final episode of the second season? I refuse to watch it until three comes out. Nikki, it's too cruel. It? Nikki, have you seen it? You're talking about 2.5? Yes. The, the yeah, the end of 2.5. Yeah, no, I haven't seen right. that yet. The fa- you will basically, based on what you just told me, you will vomit when you see the last episode of 2.5. Oh, because I almost vomited at the end of, I think, one season one. They do and- they do something to Lee at the end of the last season. Oh, don't stop. No, no, stop, not plot-wise, not plot-wise, but they do something to Lee that will make you um, perhaps reconsider that prospect. But go on. What, that he's hot? Yeah. Is he gay? Oh, no. Suck. Really? All the good ones are. <laughs> he's he's not gay. He's not gay. Really? Okay, phew. They do a thing, though. They do a thing, and you'll both know what I mean when you watch it. They do a thing. I'm my mind is scared. Like, Hang on, I'm gonna type it to I'm gonna type it to Chi so I don't spoil it for you two ladies. But they, they do a thing. Okay. Hang well, on. I don't tell. No, stop. Okay. I'm not telling you anything here. Um. I, you know, I want to. I want to move on. I wanted to talk. You know, Ryan was talking about um, General Harry and all these insights that we get into. I have General Harry and Sniper Harry and like all these different facets of Harry that we get to see in this <laughs> Leather chapter. Harry. Yes. Oh, sorry. And um, <laughs> um. She just got my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, <laughing. laughs> I'm so giggling right now. Um, I. Gosh, dang it, Ryan! This is why we're not allowed to instant message um i want to talk about uh hermione's character because i absolutely love there's this one little scene or it's not a little scene it's actually quite lengthy with hermione and um is her name shannon sharon shannon shannon um where they're in the shop or whatever and hermione is very focused on getting to harry and ron because she needs both of her boys that's the way it's worded both of her boys need to come through this whole and intact. Yeah. I liked that. And I just loved that. That was just lovely. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. I actually liked the moment between Hermione and Shannon. Yes. Where Hermione Hermione needed to be able to take control of the situation to calm herself enough to assess it and get through it. And by having a weak person, Hermione could be strong. 
Yeah, it really shows you too, like, you know, there's, say there's hundreds of students at Hogwarts. You know, you only see, you know, the trio and some of the main Gryffindor characters. You don't really see the characters in the background have to deal with the war. So you have, you, you have you know, the, the shop being blown to bits and you've got, you know, firefights everywhere and you have the poor cashier at, you know, the Weasley's joke shop, you know, crouching in the ground and Hermione's like basically looking around like, oh, this happens all the time. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, do this I really thought day. they were going to die. They were doomed. The Death Eater. Oh, or at oh, least Shannon was going to get it, but, you know. Oh, I thought she had it coming. I was like, oh, she's toast. <laughs> like, I read the description of her character, and I hit at the beginning, and I was like, oh, yeah, she's toast. She's going to bite it. And then she totally I thought did. she was too sweet. That George liked her. I thought, nope, we got, she's got to stick around. I do like her as a partner for George, though. Somebody that's kind of a nice foil for his exuberance all the time versus so. um fred and isis yeah <laughs> oh my goodness uh, so this kind of this next scene kind of confused me a bit because everyone is climbing to the rooftop mm-hmm. i think this we're having another boat moment yeah <laughs> because they're climbing to the rooftop you're um, laughing he hasn't got it yet he hasn't oh. got it yet no oh. i'm sorry i was picturing the whale moment i apologize oh Oh, no, this was a different one. Okay. Um, well, they're on the roof, and then suddenly they're like, oh, that spell came from the roof. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, um? Harry and Ginny are on the roof. Yeah, what yeah, it was Harry is... Harry and Ginny. Oh, yeah. okay. Harry and Ginny go up on the roof, and they re- yeah, and, and, and the rest of them are down on the ground, and they realize that the, the, the spell came from, from the other roof over there. Yeah. And so then, of course, okay. Harry and Ginny have to jump across, mm-hmm. like, a roof... And this is the point at which I started going, bum ba dum bum, bum ba dum bum. I was like, I totally have that in my notes too. <laughs> like jumping from roof to. I'm roof. picturing cheese sitting there, like biting on her tongue, like trying to write, bum ba like bum ba dum bum, bum ba dum bum ba dum bum. Yeah. We really need to stop singing the Superman theme song right now. But that, here, it's, it, what? No, it it Indiana Jones, so Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Did I say Superman? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm picturing <laughs> the, the original fifty. I'm sorry. I'm picturing the original fifties um, Superman right there. And I was picturing him jumping out of the stupid window thing. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> here was my take on that. You know how there's always the scene when they forget they're wizards, and it's like you know, her, yeah. you know. Hermione forgets she can, you know, do Lumos, and, you know, we had a moment a couple of weeks ago, too, where, you know, Ron and Hermione are on fire, and Harry's looking for a fire extinguisher, and, like, he has this wand in his hand. Like, I was waiting for, you know, like, Ginny, like, like Harry's on the other rooftop, and he's like, jump, I'll catch you, and she's like, I can't make it, I was waiting for the, then just use the, you know, Superman charm or whatever. Just like there's a spell for that. And Ginny like jumps and he's and like Harry takes his wand down and just like repels her over the top of the building. Like you could have done that. I was Yeah, I was like Levy Corpus, hello. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jim. And Guardian Levioso. Mm-hmm. He like she, Yeah, okay. My only complaint with this, I have to say, is that she pulls his arm out of socket and she doesn't give a crap. All she cares about is how happy she is that she made it and that she did something she thought she couldn't do. I'm like, you wounded the love of your life seriously enough to make him pass out while he fixes 
<laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing, too. All right, here's the thing with Harry. He, 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 he uses the smooth line, I'd like to see how that dress looks on the floor. And now, yeah. where did he reach the point in his life where if his arm comes out of his socket, he, like, bolts, like, he, like, smashes his body against the wall to lock it back in? <laughs> when has he ever had to do that before that he knows how to do that? <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I'm sure he read his fair share of adventure novels when he was little and that seemed like the thing to do like, like that just seemed a little I like ma- it's players do it often it just sure, seemed like I'm, it yeah, seemed, like, it seemed like, like macgyver you know what i mean it's like hold on i need to set my arm now <laughs> <laughs> well it's not like it, it, it's not like it makes it functional ryan it's just that now it's not so limp <laughs> so it looks a little better like <laughs> I just thought that was, it was just the funniest thing. It was, it was, and I don't mean to lie, like, I thought the scene was really kind of funny up to there. It was, it was, um, Petrificus Totalis, you know, Ginny uses it to stop the Death Eater who also jumped, and then she threatens to use it on the other Death Eater, like, in midair, and he backs off. I'm like, okay, Ginny, and then she turns around, Harry, are you all right? I'm like, Ginny Weasley, holding off an army of Death Eaters with one hand, checking on the boyfriend with the other. But I just, I thought it was hilarious. It's like, Harry, like, seriously, picture this moment. They've just jumped off of the, you know, the, 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 the symbolically burning building. And they're laying there, and she's, you know, literally holding off an army with one hand and, you know, treating the wounded with the other. Harry, are you all right? Yeah, just a minute. He gets up, like, smashes his arm into the walls, knocks it back in his socket, and then collapses. Passes like, out. So she grabs him around. This is what made me laugh. She grabs him around the waist then, I think, and apparates out. And then she makes a comment, like, something about, well, it's important to let him think he's taking care of her. I did like that comment, because it seemed like if that was from Harry's perspective, like, you would have had a line in there about how Ginny, like, snuggled close to him, you know, because she was scared, and Harry would have, you know, like, squeezed her shoulder or something. You could picture something in there that, if it was written from a different perspective, you could easily see that. So I thought that was actually kind of a cool throwaway line there. I don't know. I guess I just kept thinking, he's verging unconscious. How is he possibly in control of the situation? I don't know. Yeah. Well, what? I don't know. Maybe he's just, oh. he's doing that whole, like, bleeding profusely from the stomach. He's so Indiana Jones in this. He's bleeding from his lip because he bit yeah. it and he hurt his shoulder when yeah, she exactly. yanked it off. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't feel bad about it. The All we need, really, is the scene where they're running from the boulder in the... <laughs> He has the sandbag and the horcrux. And, like, I love the way it's described. And Ginny would have made it if only she hadn't faltered at the last moment as she dives over, like, you know, the the separation between the buildings. Of course, Harry pulls her up. And I I just thought it was... And she almost leaves him behind, but she doesn't want to. And she'll come back from later. And (laughs) she just gave him... You horrible woman! <laughs> the feelings. She's like, oh. I'm super gentle. Well, she just then, gave them the like the bracelet that will let them, you know, find each other again one day. So you know yeah. they're going to be separated. And she's like, yeah. oh, I'll be back in the middle of a battle. I'm going to leave, like you know, Harry Potter, you know, around. And hopefully, the Death Eaters will find. Yeah. <laughs> he's only he's only semi unconscious. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever. And I like how, you know, it's the the sentence, it's so dramatic how the sentence, you know, 
I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be right back. Snaps him back. You know, like. What are you nuts? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm awake. I'm awake. I'll come with you. Don't leave me. <laughs> I'm fine. I can walk. Oh, my oh, gosh. I'm but alive. then, you know, it's Harry. Yeah. So the He's... building comes down, you know. He was just having, like, a um, Aiden Christensen in some of his worst moments in episode three <laughs> of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> like when the acting is so no! bad. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> that is so awful. <laughs> that was, I was having, I was seeing Christian play Harry in this scene. <laughs> this is what kind of confuses me. The building falls down or something. It's the building and... next door. It's the building they jumped off of before. Okay. It collapses in a swirling cloud of dust and smoke, and Harry throws his body over Jenny to shield her from the debris. But. Wouldn't she just be as smushed under him? <laughs> I think it was like, the flying like debris coming in. Well, I think he it was the de- like make a push-upping there I don't, to protect. I don't know. Well, no, the, the debris would hit her in the head. He was protecting her from the debris, so it wouldn't hit her in the head. I mean, not that she would care. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: she jumped off of a building, is hanging by her fingers. Someone's shooting at her back. She pulls herself up, and she's glad to be alive. I think we can cut the girl some slack. Yeah, I yeah. would be pretty glad to be alive, too. <laughs> I'm sure she yeah, wasn't. I would be concerned that I ripped the arm off the hero of the Wizarding World. Jen, you were I... just chasing your car down a street, <laughs> screaming, stop in the name of the law. I mean... And so they wake up, and, you know... She's like, Harry, are you okay? Okay, good. My brothers. Thanks for saving my life. Yeah. Let's keep going. Just yeah, well, the building. I mean, they do have to, they have to get a move on. They have Death Eaters to kill and hor- non-existent Horcruxes to destroy. And <laughs> like, I don't know. Okay, I have, to was- take a, I have to take a step back here because I actually, I, I, I really wanted to say the thing I'm really loving about this scene. Like, I like the fact that, you know, even before the battle starts, you know, all of the Wheezies try and hold Ginny back, and you know, she's even looking around basically like, okay, Ron, exactly how many times have I had to carry you out of situations yeah. like this when you almost died? Like, I think I can handle myself. And, you know, they're, you know Harry and, and Ginny need to go check on the Weasleys. I love the fact that Harry fires a Patronus at the Dementors. I never thought of that. At the <laughs> you, you, you mean the to put face with a Dementor, you wouldn't you wouldn't fire a, a Patronus spell, right? Okay, I got Indiana Jones wrong. Do you actually think I'm going to get that one right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my thought on that was that I couldn't believe, like, Harry is, like, giving out orders. Do you do this? Hermione, do this. Blah, blah, blah. Ginny, do this. And, like, she's like, no. Uh-uh. Hold on. We're going to talk about this. I'm not going to be left behind. <laughs> I was left behind at this time and this time and this time. <laughs> and it's like, hello, impending order. Just do what he freaking says, you stupid, stupid girl. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, I, you know, okay, Jenny, let's take time and talk about your feelings. <laughs> like, hello. It's always about you. <laughs> oh, goodness. It makes Heart me just ball. a little irksome. It makes you just a little irksome. I love. She has you. little sister syndrome. I swear. You know what it is? Is that you have a little sister? I think, and you're just getting irritated because you see little tendencies. Maybe there. that's it. I'm just like, you're so annoying. Just go do what I told you to do. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> just so I don't. 
anyway. I find it so funny that you're so pro Draco but so anti Ginny. Uh, it's not. I'm, I'm pro Ginny. I just think Ginny's a makes stupid choices in this. We all and know what like, Gemma's about to say. We all know what she was about to say just there. Okay. Yeah. After the Trust. yeah. So Umbridge shows up and she starts you know screaming at Kingsley and all the Aurors who betrayed you know the Ministry and sided with you know the Order to you know actually. You know, fight back against the Death Eaters who are burning down Diagon Alley. So yeah, then they go back to the they go back to Grimmel Place, and they're rushing up. And like, Ginny has to be Ginny has to tell everybody Harry's really hurt. <laughs> he's just unconscious, and you know he's really cut up, and he had a building fall on him. <laughs> Let me just announce it. <laughs> and then Ron's like, "Glad to see him, mate. Going to find Hermione." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, like, how oh. many times in this fic has, has Harry almost died and had to, like, I'm be on sure. bed rest for a week? At least you know once it? every few months, because, you know, they almost die and then they come and, and sit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I love there's, it. <laughs> there's some breaks here. I just think that, you know, if you're Harry Potter, you've got to be used to being almost dead by now. Like, <laughs> you spend yeah. half your life in that state. You would I know that pretty used to it. Like I know later on, and they close they close the hospital, and I'm like, oh, that's not good for Harry. <laughs> Voldemort shuts down the healthcare industry. Oh crap! Yeah, Harry, you screwed. The but, um, I actually read um, a fic once. I can't remember. It may have actually been Melinda, where Harry stops in to just see, you know, Madame Pomfrey one day, you know, just to say hi because he's there so much that he just missed her. <laughs> She's like a grandmother to him. Um, Boinking uh, Mad Eye Moody in the back room there, but you know. Pomfrey <laughs> so, is at headquarters now. <laughs> she's Harry's personal physician. Oh. He so at least one. she's and Tonks is looking very bad as usual throughout this fake <laughs> with brown <laughs> ugly hair. <laughs> you are very hard on the ladies tonight. You like Ginny rips Harry's arm out of his socket. <laughs> Tonks looks like oh, crap. Well, she does. Like I think it's important that we notice that every time we see her, she looks worse. Yes, she's really not being very Tonksy. Her boyfriend is off with the werewolves. Yeah, that is a werewolf. Like, well, he's but he's off with the other ones. <laughs> oh, the mean ones, yeah. The, the pack. The mean... He's with the pack. He's off with his pack, <laughs> biting it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that is so cliche. It makes me want to stab my eyes out just hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was going for, Chief. So they. <laughs> Sorry, but like once you've read, once you've read like three or four really bad like Ramus. Pack smut fix. You're just like if I never hear, Ramus went home to his pack and made love to his mate. Like time, it'll be treasure. A few things oh of that God. nature. Oh, God. oh my goodness! So like every time I hear that, like Ramus is returning to his pack, I'm like, oh, somebody hand me a spoon so I can just stab my eyes out. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> Well, isn't this now where they go back to Grim Old Place and Mrs. Weasley doesn't care about anybody except Shannon? <laughs> you hate the way into the... <laughs> we need, like, a raging... We need, like, a raging feminist on the show just to balance out Jen tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I 
like it, honestly. I'm not. I'm it's not the equivalent is like Bill drops Harry and kicks him in the head. You know, it's it's the same mm-hmm. thing, but with the women this time. Jen, are you? But I really I, liked it. Like I'm not criticizing it. <laughs> yeah. This okay. is what happens next, isn't it? Yes. yes. So oh, I love this moment where Miss Weasley's like, "Harry, you almost died. That's really nice, dear." Who are you? <laughs> George's <laughs> love interest? Welcome to the family. Let me get yeah. you food. Well, here's the thing. The last strange... <laughs> here's the thing. They let her own son into Grimma Place, and they gave him an unbreakable vow. And there's this random girl just hanging around. Who are you again? <laughs> you must be the order. <laughs> yes, we are. Could you imagine if the CIA worked like this place? Like, it's just, like, here's my thing. Like, you know, here's the thing. Like, you would imagine, like, you know, government workers, they need to know where you live at all times. They need to know everything about you. Like, there's just routinely, like, imagine if, like, you know, cops and FBI members just formed their own militia, but they still went to their day job every day. You think someone would, like, follow Arthur home by now? Where's he going? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think so. Where are they mailing his paycheck to? The mar- Your old house has been abandoned. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's just an owl thing, you know? P.O. Box unplottable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Percy's ringing the doorbell. Like, it's like... <laughs> oh, my God. Just coming I, like, I really like the George and Shannon ship, I think. Yeah. And I like that they make her kind of stupid, but not really. She's just really loyal. Well, she yes. hasn't, like, gone through, like, you know... Like, here's the thing. Being Harry Potter's friend is kind of like, you know, going to boot camp. She hasn't... She's new. She hasn't been attacked by Death Eaters or, like... But she saved Hermione, dude. She yeah, obviously she... thinks well mm-hmm. on her feet. Didn't she kick yes. a Death Eater in the balls? No, no Hermione, Hermione kicked the Death Eater in the balls. But she gave him the vomit candy. Puking thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the puking while vomit thing. Yeah, the puking while <laughs> here's vomit. The, here's, the, here's the thing. With everything that's happened, when George found that out, I think he was about to jump her on the kitchen table with his entire family around. <laughs> You know what I wondered? What, Jen? Because I'm dying to know. I wanted to know how Hermione kicked him in the balls while he was vomiting because (laughs) (laughs) I would have been really grossed out to, like, get that on me. Yeah, you would get it on you. And doesn't that, like, usually involve some bending over, like, anyway? So that narrative would be, like, naturally... maybe she did it, like, from his bum. So... (laughs) No, why would he turn around when he was vomiting? Like he was embarrassed? No. Throwing up. I don't know. She needs to change her pants. Because, yes, he vomited all over her leg. Oh, yes. There we go. And Ron, of course, thinks that's like I love how, like, Harry, like, smashes his, like, broken arm into, like, the wall to knock it back into place. (laughs) And, like, all of these awful things have happened. Like, like, throw up. Ew. I have oh, up. I am oh, yeah. so not grossed out by throw up anymore. <laughs> oh, can we not? But I've had the flu all week. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah I can't even. All right, so that let's... totally was not as funny as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Arthur cusses in the scene. Yeah. He goes, "Damn it!" <laughs> and Molly's all right there. Arthur. Arthur. I, love, I love the fact that the Death Eaters could be kicking the door in, and one of them will say, <laughs> and like Molly will be like, "Watch your language." Like nothing. <laughs> Is this woman. Yeah, like, one thing I really loved about this scene, though, was it was really reminiscent of Order of the Phoenix, just the politics of everything, and, you know, now you have 
the Order has been blamed for the attack on Diagon Alley. Umbridge's position has been solidified somewhat. You have everyone turning against the only people who could protect them. You have a situation now where not only is Voldemort breathing down their necks, not only do they have more Horcruxes to find, but now the Order is literally on the run. And this is kind of like what we were talking about a little bit earlier, Jen. You know, this is one of the fix where really you have a worst-case scenario. It's not like, you know, the Ministry is fighting, you know, the Death Eaters and the Order is helping. You have literally the Ministry fighting the Order and supporting the Death Eaters. Like, this is an absolute worst-case scenario where all you have is basically the characters themselves and their wits. You don't have any outside, um, like, deus maxima uh, yeah. help. It's just basically... I think that's more interesting, because it really shows you what these characters are made of when they have absolutely nothing to work with. I think that it's, you know, very likely that we'll have this a similar situation in, um, in Deathly Hollows, to yeah. where we have a crumbling of the government, because we haven't seen an effective government at all right. while Harry's been a part of the wizarding world. You can't call Cordelius Fudge effective by any stretch of the imagination. Rock and, he is. Yeah. And then, of course, Rufus Scrimgeour, you know, you can argue his motives, you can argue this and that, but you still, he's still not getting anything done. So... His name is Rufus. Whatever. Who follows a man named Rufus? I don't know. It's like he's having like, a president named Larry. It just doesn't yeah, bode well for you as a people. <laughs> As a people, no. Yeah. Uh, Harry is so popular. Harry is a strong name. A manly name. Yes. But I really like that they have the conversation about the badges. And the, the ones that were about in Harry Potter and Drake. The Potter Stinks badges. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. And he's so proud that he made them. And, like, it's hysterical. But Shannon wore one. <laughs> Shannon. Yeah. You little sheep. Until Cedric told her to take it off, which I thought was hilarious because Cedric like was handing them out to everyone, and finally Fanti's like, "Yeah, yeah, take those off. Look how great I am." Wink, wink. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> nudge, nudge. See, I did the right thing. You can still wear them when he's not looking. <laughs> he's kind to- of. I don't know. Rest in peace, I have Cedric. Lots of mixed feelings about Cedric Diggory there. I really don't yeah. like his father at all. But that's a canon discussion. <laughs> yeah, I thought the scene was a little overdone in the movie. Why are we talking oh, no, about the movie? Good. Three chapters to go. I All right, cried. back to work. I really like that Harry is writing his death letters. And I'm oh, glad to too. see his writing style has improved since after the end. <laughs> yeah. Dear Ron, I'm dead. I hope the Quidditch season is going well. <laughs> How are you? I'm not here. <laughs> Ron, your best friend has died. Hope all is well. Very truly yours, Harry. Yeah. And I love how he, like, crosses out the, I miss you, crosses it out. Like, they'll never figure out. Like, you don't get the sense he's going to write this over. This is, like, the draft. Like, they're going to have, like, I love you crossed out with a single thin line. She'll never know I loved her now. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know. Let us see a little bit of what Harry is actually feeling and, like, he honestly is preparing himself to die. And I, I like that what they made him earlier, that the reason he's making these letters is because he really would have liked something from Sirius. Yeah. And that he wants to be able to give his friends the same thing. So I really like that even in his death, he still is not thinking of himself. So I really liked that. I liked that. Yeah. It's it, not like a like a suicidal note where the no. motivation is selfish necessarily. It's more of a... You know, I, I really wish I had this. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I actually have a relative who um, died a few years ago who actually left notes for everybody, and that was the one thing I wanted out of anything, just to have that known. It means a lot to me, so I can definitely see how, especially if he has you know, a year to prepare for his death, that he leaves something behind for people because he obviously knows what it feels like. He's lost everybody, so... I mean, I'm sure if he had a note from Dumbledore, he would cherish it more than anything, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, because I don't think Harry ever... I mean, Dumbledore never really expressed to Harry... You know, you get the sense that he made all these bad decisions because he loved Harry so much, but they're never... That sentiment is never expressed. Right. You know? And I think that that would have been great for Harry to have. Yeah. I, but, you know, he doesn't have it, so... Yeah. Although I do have to say, we do see over the course of these chapters his letters to Ginny, Hermione, and Ron, and I do feel as though Ron got the shaft. Yes. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, so I'm dead. Hope the cannons are doing well. And he like he this is pay- <laughs> he's like you wouldn't sleep with me, and so basically I'm writing you the boring letter. Yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he crosses it out, but it's not because that it sounds stupid. It's just that. The cannons never play well. Like, that's such a ridiculous <laughs> statement to him. I was giggling the whole time. I was like, he is such a boy. <laughs> yeah. And so is apparently Ron, because he's making out with Hermione in, that, in the next room and gets dragged back by his mother by his ear. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just like that Jenny goes to tuck Harry in. And oh. then he goes, you were fantastic today, by the way. <laughs> she's like, she's like, like, really? Really? Thanks, Professor. That would have been my response. <laughs> I know I ripped your arm off, but thanks. How's the shoulder, Harry? <laughs> <laughs> Need a back rub? Oh, God. Oh, Melinda, we really love the story. I swear to God, we're like all exhausted I right know. now, but we really love the story. I mean, he doesn't even take wizarding ibuprofen or anything. <laughs> he doesn't take wizarding ibuprofen. I, was, I, I just love the fact that he slams his body into a wall to force... Like, like, literally, like, this isn't like Harry who's been in, like, the, you know, the underground for six months. This is He's 17 years old. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Oh. But, but I like know, that he doesn't want to stop. Though. He doesn't want to stop kissing her. And he doesn't care if Ron comes in. He wants to see how her clothes will look on the ground. Oh, did you notice, too, it's the very worn dress, and he can, like, see her underwear through it, and he's, like, glaring, like, oh, poor kid. I mean, you you can't blame him. He keeps getting really close, and then he keeps getting interrupted. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my life. I mean, come on. I love that. Oh God, Ryan, that was TMI. <laughs> I just wanted to, I have absolutely no idea what we're even talking about. I was just trying to make sure. But, um... <laughs> oh, don't try to cop out of it now. I'm emailing Danielle. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, say hi. Um, oh God. Okay. No, I just, oh, I just have, I have to stop to say this because I'm going to forget to. Chi, I was listening to um, the edited version of um, the last episode, episode 18, um, with Danielle before I, I proposed, and we listened to the part where you're like, "I need to call Danielle," and she looks over at me. Why does she want to call me? Oh, she just misses you. Danielle, <laughs> <laughs> Danielle thinks we're all stalkers. No, and then I get to the part where I'm like, and no one can talk to Danielle, and I meant it because you know they would give away the proposal. She like whacks me in the back of the head like I'm trying to keep friends away from her. <laughs> oh, okay. Here's a little box, Danielle. Just stay there for a few days. <laughs> Everything will be fine. 
Oh, it's funny that like half the PFW people know about it, and then you know, yeah, she's like, she's like, who knew? I'm like everybody, except your parents and you. <laughs> except the people who matter. <laughs> I had a scheduling conflict and wasn't able to tell them in advance. Sorry about that. Oh goodness gracious! Oh, that's funny. I really like that um, that Jenny here uh, gets out of. Uh, them could have getting in trouble by blaming Harry for working. She like gives Harry the sympathy card. Yeah, <laughs> she's all, she's, you know, she comes Harry. in. She's like, "Why are you here?" And she goes, "I was just tucking Harry in. He's working. <laughs> it's the He's younger. Working. It's the younger child. Like, I'm about to get in trouble. Let's blame it on somebody else." Reflex, well, you, you know. But I love Poor. it too. It's not like he's looking at porn. It's he's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually really like the conversation between Ron and Harry. Like, Ron actually opens up. She treats me like I'm seven, not almost 18. Yeah, and look what you do to Ginny all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, there's a big there's a big legal difference between 17 and 18. Or, you know, however old Ginny is. She's 16. Right. There's a big difference between 16 and 18. Well, you know what? Let's even back up a little bit because we, we skipped over this part because it was actually, I forgot where it came in the storyline. Um, the part where Ron and, I'm sorry, the part where Ginny and Harry are in bed and they're tickling. <laughs> and Ron, of course, decides that Harry is, you know, raping Ginny in the next bed <laughs> and yes. decides to kill him. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Ron's temper, it, it, like the Weasley temper always bugs me when I read fan fiction, not because, you know, it's badly written or anything. It's just, you know, how dopey do you have to be? It's like, like, okay, you honestly think Harry Potter is trying to attack your sister with you in the next bed? Like, he's not dumb. He's <laughs> just like, <laughs> A, he probably wouldn't have to rape her. B, you know, he wouldn't do it while you were in the next bed. I don't know. I well, was that's the thing. It's like Ron doesn't think he just reacts. And I was really glad to see that scene. I really was. Because it's something that you need to have that situation come to a head. How many fics do you read? Ron is a consistent bonehead for 37 chapters without it being addressed. I like the fact that Harry was so hurt that Ron would think that. I love the fact that, you know, Ginny, you know, threatens to, you know, curse Ron into next Tuesday and Hermione sees the hurt in Harry's eyes. I like the fact that the two characters had that moment because Ron needs to know that he needs to knock it off. And yeah. I like the fact that he got that point. So it, as you see these two guys lying in bed at the end of this page, you know, mom treats me like I'm seven. He needs to get the fact that he needs to let go. And he can love his sister, but come on, Harry is not going to do any... And I, I think that's one of the really powerful things about the relationship between Ron and Harry. Ron will be a bonehead. Ron will try and kill Harry for touching Ginny, but Ron will also die for Harry in a heartbeat. And that's what makes the character of Ron something more than just a one-dimensional, stubborn ass. Right. He's lovely. Which in this, you know, fic, apparently, you know, that gets to be Bill, although he was bitten by a werewolf, so I guess we can give Bill some, you know, leeway as well. For PMS. Yep. Bill's PMSing now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, because he's got that werewolf thing going on. Once a month? He gets that time of the month, you know? He gets kind of crazy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> kind of moody. Oh. Can, uh-huh. you know, that way everybody else can ask him that awkward question. Oh, is it your time of the month? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ryan is just oddly quiet in the corner. <laughs> I'm 
don't have much <laughs> time of the month. You're just being that way. Yeah, um, don't you hate it? Like whenever whoever you're with, like romantically, like you're acting kind of crazy someday. You know, just like. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, you act kind of crazy someday, and <laughs> they ask you that question like it's like it dawns on them that it might be a possibility, and they're like, "Is it your time of the month?" And you just like oh want to smack them. So. it, <laughs> Ryan. Yes. Hint for the newly almost married. <laughs> yes. Dude, yes. Don't yes. do that. No. If just you're don't fighting, touch it. <laughs> don't even go there. Just yeah. don't go there. Because like, even if you know that's the case. How long have you been with Danielle now? Four and a half years. Yeah, so. We're good. Yeah. We're practically married anyway. <laughs> we really are. Like, pe- like I was, when, like, people, like, got the news we were engaged, like, there was at least one person who was like, I thought you were married. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, then we get to the scene with Percy. That is one of the best scenes. I can't wait to talk about this scene. Um... And one thing I should say, too, is I think we get spoiled as Harry Potter fans, you know, as we all talk about what's going to happen in Book 7, and 98% of us are convinced that Snape is a good guy. That when you read the scene, you're waiting for, you know, the door to close and Snape to, like, you know, finally reveal himself to be the old spy. And not so much. No. No, no, no. no. He's a bad, bad man. Snape is a bad man in this thick. Lilith, you've been quiet for a while. What do you think of this scene? Boy, it's hard to put it in words because it's so good. I, oh, <laughs> I, I cried. I cried through this whole thing. <laughs> What's sad? You really feel for Percy. Oh, yeah. He's just... Everything that he believed in turned out to be wrong. And they, the people that he trusted and believed in ended up killing him, really. Yeah. yeah, and it's not only that, it's the fact that Percy knows that he's going to die. He's willing to do it. Yeah. But the fact that everyone, like, there's, Mac had this as a signature on the forums for a while, and it's a quote I've heard many times, like, would you be willing to sacrifice your life for something you believe in, even if nobody knows you did it and no one celebrates your name and you're not seen as a hero? Would you do it in the darkness? It's not that, you know, Percy is sacrificing himself to save the Order and to save the world, and no one will ever know that he made the sacrifice. People will actually think he betrayed them. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. like, it, how much is it worth it? And he, at the end, gets it. He gets he was wrong. He understands he was wrong. He's making this choice, but no one will know he did it. Like, how sad is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's how terrible. awful is that? And he never got to make up with his brothers. Yeah. And right. they're left with all that guilt. Yeah, I thought it was such a sad line where he said, you know, he'd never had any real beef with Snape. You know, he yeah. probably was one of Snape's best students. Yeah. I mean, that's a great piece to add in to fan fiction, too. Um, this was covered in the chapters from last episode, but like the line, for example, when um, Ginny was remembering the Dementors um, in her second year um, approaching the Hogwarts Express, and she remembered the nightmares the Dementors brought out in her and the traumatic experience she had. We never got that in canon, but that makes perfect sense when you get into fan fiction, you know, to flesh out that scene from Ginny's perspective that that would happen. You know, it makes sense that, you know, Snape is not the greasy get to Percy. You know, Percy would admire the fact that Snape was a hard-ass because Percy himself is one. And that's why he probably didn't mind Dolores Umbridge at first as much as you know, someone who is compassionate and someone who is articulate, you know, like Hermione or Harry would feel. Yeah. You know, he's just, he's got a slightly different personality on every, than everybody else. 
yeah. um, in the Weasley family, but he's still a Gryffindor. He still comes mm-hmm. through in the end. You know, he ultimately, the great thing about this chapter, about what Melinda is writing about, what, you know, fan fiction authors are trying to portray is in the end, most people are going to make the right decision. And I think that, you know, she's her giving Percy a chance to redeem himself, I just, in the end, I loved it. Yeah. At the beginning, I was kind of wary, but in the end, I loved it. Yeah. Because it, it was so heartbreaking, it was so tragic, but it was so needed. And you know what it is, too? In, you know, obviously, we make a lot of connections to After the End because we just read it, but in that fic, you have a very um, sympathetic Percy that you never get to meet, but you know that he eventually came around and did the right thing. And now we get to see, again, Percy from his perspective. You get to see the wheels in his head move and see why he does what he why he does. He knows what he needs to do. He's afraid to do it. He's a Gryffindor, but he doesn't know if he has the strength that, you know, Harry or Ron and Hermione would summon in an instant. But he knows he's a Gryffindor and he trusts, you know, his family and he knows he has to do this for them. And it's just such a tragic, lonely moment for the character that he will essentially commit suicide to save the Order because he knows that his death will alert them that something is happening and he knows that his mother is the one who will find out first and she will be there with her clock and see him move you know his hand fall off the clock or it move to you know dead or deceased or whatever and like it's just such a sad sad moment that thought yeah like how would you feel like that has got to be awful to realize that your mother is going to have to like no mother should have to bury their child and like have to deal with that reality as a child would be you know, that would be singularly painful. Yeah. That would just be awful. Especially since you get the sense that Percy and his mother were so close. Yeah. You know, she was the only one that maintained a connection with him. The unbreakable vow protected the location of Grimmauld Place. And I really did like the fact that because Snape knew where it was, but because McGonagall was the new secret keeper, you know... the. Snape now can no longer remember where it was because there's a new secret keeper protecting the place. And I like the, there's so much I like about the scene because it didn't occur to me until Melinda explained it through the characters that I really got it. I like the fact that Draco knew in advance what would happen. He knew how the Death Eaters would think. And I like the fact that, you know, obviously Snape was testing the wards and he was testing Percy to see what Percy could give away. One thing I was unclear on is why saying Harry worked for the Order would break the vow. I yeah, I didn't get that either. I didn't get the sense that the vow was protecting the order. The vow was protecting the building. Yeah, that's kind of mm. what I thought. Maybe, I don't know. No, I'm in, I'm just as confused as all of you are. But apparently it worked because Percy died. Yeah. And, Drake, <laughs> and, and Snape was pissed. I'm Maybe, maybe I guess he just legitim, legitimized him, legitimized him before he died. No, because legitimacy won't work. With the Fidelity. I thought he said it would. It would not. That's why he just Mm -hmm. didn't get the information from Snape's mind, or else you wouldn't need to use the... For sure. Yeah. And I really like the fact that... I really did like the fact that they could break through the charm because it was unregistered by the ministry, or it was registered through the ministry, or the ministry had access to it. Otherwise, you know, criminals everywhere would put use the charm. I thought that was a really cool loophole. Yeah. The, 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 it felt natural. I'm sure you could find a way around it. You could have said, you know, why doesn't everyone use it? Oh, it's a really tough charm to do or whatever. But I thought that was a really cool loophole that was um, able to be exploited there. I thought that was great. And Percy dies. Defending everybody. Die. 
And it took me a second. You know, you always tell that story about Danielle when she's watching that show and she doesn't realize the character is dead at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how I was. I was, I read it and then I blinked and then I read it again and then I was like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) He's dead. And then I had my moment. I was like, oh. Or Percy. Well, it's, you're kind of doing like you know you're, you 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 get like your hands up in the air and you're like okay that's two people who have now died. It's like you're going down the list of you know things that have to happen. Yeah, <laughs> how many people have to die in this story? And yeah, I mean I'll put it this way: if Percy goes with as much class in canon, I won't be upset. Me too. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Percy's toast in canon actually. If it I does, was gonna give my it does not bode well. Yes, it <sighs> does not bode well for Percy. Although I would hesitate to call Percy a main character. You know, I don't know. We'll see. We will see. All right. So moving on to what chapter we're going to now? We're going to chapter twenty-one. Twenty-one. <laughs> oh, we've got to the good stuff. I have to admit that when uh, the voice wakes them up, I thought it was Malfoy at first. I and I, I kept going. Why is Draco why is getting Malfoy up? Yeah. No, I, I don't I, know if anybody else thought that. No, I, I actually know. thought it was Moody right from the beginning. I, I don't know. I really I thought it was. I thought it was Draco, and then I, I, I kept going, and then I was like, oh, it's Moody. It was too authoritarian, I think, to be Draco. I think if it was Draco, he would be like, my mommy says we have to get up now. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> well, I kept thinking, maybe this is his redemption somehow. Well, I guess because I was really hoping for that, or something. All right, now, one problem I did have with the scene, and I, and I just have to say, like, we're all very tired doing this, but I really did love these chapters I, I i enjoy the fix so much but one thing that always cracks me up is when you have the five good guys and the 30 bad guys and the 30 bad guys are all shooting at the five good guys and you know the five good guys walk out alive yeah it's <laughs> like they're, they're abandoning you know grimmauld place and they're running for the kitchen to use the fireplace and the death eaters are charging in and it seems like Ginny and Hermione should have been shot 800 times, but they make it. And, like, Hermione's <laughs> hanging off the stairs, and Ginny wasn't, like, her something was stuck on. They had to carry her. And it's, like, what, Harry is, like, holding them all off. And, he's, and it's, like, it's like the scene. And he's of, holding Hermione. Uh, I don't, I found this like, a little. And, and the twins run up, and one of the twins runs up the stairs and grabs Hermione, and Hermione won't let go. So he has to, like, struggle. It's, Terrier. It's, it takes, like, 25 of- minutes. It's just, like, and Harry's holding them all off. <laughs> I thought that was just, uh, I found that very amusing. I just, I well, don't know. It just seemed And like, Narcissa is worried about her outfit and yeah. they have time to make fun of her about her outfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone grabbed my luggage and I thought, yeah, I thought that was, yeah. And Moody, yeah, Moody has time to joke. I thought that was funny. But yeah, you know, there was, I just couldn't get the choreography down in my head where they were because it just seemed like, you know. Yeah. Hermione should have been shot way more times than she probably was. And I love the fact that Ron comes to the doorway. I really did love this. Ron comes to the doorway and he's furious and he basically just beats the crap out of the Death Eaters until they're able to get out of there. I just, Jenny fell down the stairs and like hurts her knee where it swells up inside of her jeans real bad. What? When, they, so they had time to get dressed. And I mean,. I don't, I don't think Harry could handle Ginny. I don't think Harry could handle Ginny in her underwear at this point, regardless of the fact <laughs> that the house is under attack. I don't think Harry could could tolerate that. And Hermione's like hanging off the banister. I don't again, know. Again, again, Wingardium Leviosa. And Fred, run, I, it, it, it's very good. I mean, I'm not insulting it. it oh, I'm I not was, at all too. I, I was caught up. I just couldn't. Yeah. You're right. I couldn't get the choreography with it either. Right. Yeah. And I thought that Hermione seemed a bit weak. 
Well, she was hanging here. off the staircase. I mean, well, even when you know Fred goes in, and I guess Hermione hates heights. Pulls her up. No, she hates heights. She just wraps around. You know. Well, it can't be that high off the ground. Can she just drop and she'd be fine? <laughs> no, I I got the picture like it was the grand staircase almost. Mm. Like kind of like Hogwarts, like when you're way up on the stairs. Like yeah. you remember the end of um, Philosopher's Stone when um, Harry comes out of the uh, infirmary and he looks up and Ron and Hermione are way up in the basement. Oh yeah, I always picture there was like one of those things. Well, yeah, I, I played suppose. the video game and I know what it looks like, and it is. There's lots of round. <laughs> it's lots of round uh, staircases that go up. It's like three or four stories tall. Well, when they film the seventh Horcrux, they'll have to. <laughs> I just say it's, it's actually saying. very correct. I'm not saying anything. Yeah, but um, <laughs> the moment I did love was Mrs. Black is like ecstatic that the Death Eaters have yes. like recaptured the place, and she's yelling. She's blind under a canopy, and she's yelling directions. This is like di- this is like blind grandma trying to like you know <laughs> give like directions so much. I just thought that was fascinating. I thought it was odd that she Melinda didn't mention her at all. In this point. whole thing, and then all of a sudden, there's the portrait screaming. Why wasn't she, she screaming earlier? She was under the tarp. And she she's depressed. still under the tarp. She was depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's been three years. It doesn't look like they're going anywhere soon. They're celebrating Christmas. The mi- yeah, you think the mistletoe would have set them off? With yeah, <laughs> or Percy ringing the doorbell. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe they signed a non-aggression pact with Mrs. Black. <laughs> Oh, goodness. That, that, this is a good point. I actually forgot she was there for a while. Me I too. think uh, next part is kind of confusing to me as well. Is it like the boat? Yeah. Sorry. When you hear about the boat, you'll understand. I, you all, as you're listening to this, know what the boat is. I haven't listened to episode 19, so I'm clueless. But if the boat has anything to do with the whale, I'm really right there with you. It doesn't, no. Well, but a, um, okay. it has to do with the Inferni. Okay. The boat. Um. But same type of question as the as the whale, though, Jen. Kind of, yeah. Basically, <laughs> we had a good time with that one. Um, but they go, they flew out of the place mm-hmm. and managed to escape somehow, like all of them. And they they get to to Aberforth's bar, mm-hmm. and then they go to Hogwarts. Yeah, they flew suddenly. There, right? They flew from the bar. To the Hogwarts? No, I took they walked. They walked from the they bar walked. to Hogwarts. They walked up. Okay, yeah, I guess longest, they do. It was, it was the longest track. walk he ever had to Hogwarts. I mean, the, the one issue I had with it, and this is something that you get a lot of in fan fiction, and in some of my favorite fan fictions, actually, this comes up a lot. Um, I'm very fond of uh, Night Zephyr, and she and uh, Points of No Return. <laughs> this is one of my biggest pieces of confusion. You know, they can't you would think that they would guess they're going to Hogwarts. Let's check, you know, Hogsmeade. You think there would be some type of presence there by the Death Eaters or some surveillance that they would tell. It just seems like they flewed from Grimmauld Place. Like, let me put it this way. They're trying to find the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix. You would think they would assume maybe they were at Hogwarts already. And the wards there are weakened and there's no... You know, the, the places, you know, there's a skeletal staff in Hogwarts. You would have thought they would have searched Hogwarts already or be near Hogwarts. It just seemed like when they flew there, they escaped. And 
someone should have anticipated they might have gone there. I guess was my only, yeah. Yeah. not yeah. necessarily the bar, but maybe Hogwarts cool. or maybe you know the Three Broomsticks or something. You you just would have thought you know if they've got guys at the at the Ravenclaw Museum on the off chance somebody stops by, they would have had some more. I mean, there's only like four or five stores that we know of. Yeah, it's got to be at one. That was my only point there. Although I did love the fact that you know Aberforth shuts off the flu and then everyone just goes back. Like this happens all the time. <laughs> Death ears flying in, they take them onto cuss. This happens all the time. You know. I don't understand why they didn't just flew into Hogwarts, but uh, was the flu shut off maybe at Hogwarts? Yeah, for protection purposes. I think that's what yeah. happens. Uh, okay. Yeah. There's the very powerful scene where they realize that that. Percy's dead, and they question whether or not Percy is a traitor or not. And we know that he isn't, but you know they have a really hard time with it. And um, you know it's just the scene where you know they just want pu- Ron just wants to punch the ever living crap out of Draco, and you have yeah. Madamers Murtha, you know, offers to take you know their captured Death Eater to the Ministry to people they can trust, and you know Fleur is there. It, it, it's just very, very powerful scene, and I love that they get to Hogwarts. And McGonagall's response to Professor Flitwick is, if they come looking for me, tell them I'm not home. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the plan we're going with. <sighs> and, and what kills me is, it works. Yeah. <laughs> that's what kills me. It, th- like, tell them I'm in the shower. I'll call them back. Like, I just, and it works. I just thought that was fascinating. All right. Oh, gosh. Well, I have to say that the scene where they go to, to Hogwarts and they see Molly and, um, I thought that Harry, I really like the way that Melinda wrote Harry, how he wasn't quite sure how to, um, how to be. He wasn't quite sure how to hug Hermione. He wasn't quite sure how to, uh, how to help or how, what to do. He just kind of was awkward. And I really appreciated that. And I liked that Ron didn't react. I thought that was very profound. Yeah. And I have the line here um, that I think is great. The one thing that struck him most about the Weasley grieving process was the way they all clung together, apparently gaining support from one another's company. Even Ron, with his foul mood, chose to stay in the room and argue with the siblings rather than seek the solace of his room. Harry remembered how he felt after Sirius died. He'd want company, but as soon as he had it, he'd feel the need to be alone. None of the Weasleys wanted to be alone at all. Shows how strong a family they are. Yeah. I mean, something Harry knows nothing about because he said Ron and Hermione, but he was always locked in his broom cupboard, like, on good days or bad days. I mean, there was no... Well, I mean, I know that, like, my my dad's family and my mom's family are so different. When somebody in my mom's side of the family dies, everyone cries together and they think of good things and everybody laughs and it's just a really good letting go of emotions and getting it out and i remember when my dad's brother died a few years ago um and he had two sons and no wife and and his and my dad my great grandmother's still alive at that time and um i remember everybody at the funeral went off on their own in the cemetery just went and stood some random place and grieved in their own way alone and i remember thinking how strange that was because yeah. I was raised more on my mother's side, I guess, where, if you know. So uh, so I guess people do grieve in different ways, and, and I liked that she showed that. Yeah. 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 I think those of us who are, I mean, I remember when when I was in the eighth grade, my, um, I had a lot of things happen that year. My, um, that, of course, was the year 9-11 happened, and um, 
that was the year my great-grandmother died, and I had a classmate commit suicide, and my grandmother was in the hospital for heart disease. So all these things were happening at once, and I really became very fascinated with grief. Well, not very fascinated because I was dealing with it, um, but a lot of the things, how I write grief stems from that experience where, Mm -hmm. you know... Because of my family situation, we all just kind of clung to each other. And I think it's interesting how Harry doesn't understand that. Because he's used to being solitary. But he's kind of opening himself up. A big part of this story is him opening himself up to the possibility of a family in the future. It was very showing that even Ron stuck with his family. And Ron is the one you would expect to always charge out of the room first and go, you know, like in other stories, he goes and like, you know, destroys an entire forest to vent steam. Even Ron knows to stay in the room. I thought that well, was... Well, he is the first, though, to 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 say what everybody's been thinking out loud. Yeah. Percy betrayed us. And he, I think he... I like that they showed the different kinds of grief and that he was very angry. Like, he was angered in a shock kind of angry way and you know he doesn't grieve until later but i don't know i really i thought that this was very very well done the scene and i i think i what i got out of it and y'all may have read it differently but harry felt so awkward because he he had grown up with no one you know he had grown up alone and he had nothing and he can't fathom what it's like to lose something to lose someone i mean he yes he lost Sirius. But it wasn't like he'd had him his whole life. And yeah, it wasn't like, careers, yeah. you know, and so I think he's he's awkward, but he's also intrigued by by it. I don't know. I yeah. kinda, that's, Everyone he's had in his life that means a damn to him, he's had for six years at most. Yeah. Yes. And then, then he loses them, you know. So he's not used to the long-term relationship. What that really means to lose yeah. someone. Oh, and it kills me that they all think what Percy did was, you know. Yeah, it's like, mm. it's. we talked about this, you know, previously. There are some levels in which an author can take a story, you know, to, to an extreme, and you give them credit when they don't do that. Like in After the End, when they didn't have Hermione's parents think that she was the one who tortured them. Um, or, oh, God. Yeah, it's like moments like that. And the Seventh Horcrux, Melinda does pull the trigger, but I think based on the way that the storyline goes, it's not too gratuitous. Uh, for example, uh, Remus gets in with Fenrir Greyback's group and convinces them that he is one of them. And he leads attacks on Muggle communities and actually participates in the killing of Muggles and turning them into werewolves. And just the grief he must feel at that is positively overwhelming, but he is, we're led to believe in the story, does participate to protect his cover. And, you know, based on what happens to Remus in these chapters, he does make up for that. But that if he, if Remus survived, you know, my God, the grief he would have gone through would have been, you know, so telling. And, you know, it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's one of those things where in the scene, you know that, you know, Percy died and everyone could have thought that he was a traitor all the time. It's like, it's worse than what happened to Sirius, you know, for 13 years in Azkaban. Well, I mean, even when Sirius oh, was killed, I remember not being quite as sad as I possibly could be because I felt that he'd lost everything. And with Harry, he sort of gained some something resembling of what he loved back and that I couldn't be terribly sad for Sirius 
in Sirius's point of view because he actually gets to go and be with the rest of his family. You know, I, so I don't know. So I remember thinking that it it wasn't nearly as sad as it could have been. Yeah. But anyway, continuing. <laughs> Moving on. The flying like carpet. The flying right? carpet. The flying yeah. carpet. <laughs> See, I don't understand how they're allowed to go wander around everywhere. Yeah, that was interesting. Like, here's, and and this is what I was just saying before, too. You know, you have the fact that Hogwarts, you know, is their safe haven. They can't leave Gryffindor Tower. You can't even go to the infirmary, but go play outside, kids. It's like, why hasn't Voldemort attacked there yet? And there is reference to the fact that Voldemort doesn't know where they are, and he's, you know, apparently, you know, holding back for whatever reason. But, yeah, it seems like they should be they should be underground, not, you know, hold, it, it seems like they're held up at the most popular tourist attraction. You know, this is the obvious place where they'd be, and they're hanging out on the front lawn. It just seems a little... Exactly. I didn't get that at all. Yeah, they go outside, they fly around, and then they get drunk after that. Oh, I love, I love how they get trashed. Oh, my, oh my goodness. She introduced the segment and take it. Okay, well, it's funny how you have the college kid. Introduce the <laughs> and <laughs> underage drinker. Underage drinker. I know. I'm so awful. I'm going to hell. And no, um, so, of course, Ron um, has this really awful fight with um, his mom and Charlie, and he goes upstairs. And um, Harry, of course, charges. Well, not really charges after him, but he's told. You know, Ron's in a bad mood, and he goes up there anyway, and he starts to try and have a conversation with him, but it's just kind of awkward, like, too awkward, like how emotional conversations between guys usually are, just really awkward. And um, they decide they're going to solve it by drinking, which sounds fabulous to me, because I love (laughs) when they drink. They're so funny. And um, (laughs) they are talking, and, you know, they're arguing about, like, who has to tell Hermione, and... (laughs) You I know, love they start talking about their love interests. Yes. Like, Harry mm-hmm. genuinely is curious about how far Ron has gone with Hermione. And even Ron asks about Ginny. I was like, um... Ron's really grown since he almost ripped Harry's head off just a few chapters ago. <laughs> well, Ron's really <laughs> grown as a person. Right <laughs> He's pretty relaxed. It's like it's yep. like it's like literally like Ron is you know at one moment he's like I kill you you looked at my sister and the next moment so how far have you gone inmate it's like what yeah. I just love how Harry tells him what he's not done yeah <laughs> <laughs> and Ron is like I don't know how I know but I know and <laughs> I laughed so hard Ron puts his fingers laughing. in his ears and hums really loud. I've I've had conversations like this recently, and <laughs> oh dear lord, gee. you know the drunk like where you're trying to talk, and what's coming out of your mouth is not what was at top like in your head, you know, and you don't really care because you're so far gone. <laughs> but <laughs> oh my goodness, it's just so funny. I was laughing. It was good to have that nice. We needed that relief because the angst, the unrelenting yeah. angst. Was getting to be a little bit much. Yeah. What I really liked about this was for 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 once it didn't seem like it was just downtime between what's happening. This felt like like crucial plot. Yeah. Like the story was actually going somewhere at this point, and I really I really liked. I couldn't put it down at this point. Yeah. One thing I was gonna say is I really liked the advice that 
um, Harry gives to Ron at this point, and this is a very common thing. When somebody close to you dies, you instantly remember the good and forget the bad. And I actually just had an interesting um, experience happen uh, to me. I had um, you know, a relative on their deathbed, and you gather around the deathbed, and you think of only the good times, and you, you kind of get in that mindset. And then she got better. And she was really hanging on for like 13, 14, 15 days. And, and after that time, you're hanging around with her and, and, and you think to yourself, she really was a pain in the ass. Like as you're at her deathbed, because it's like, it's, it's, it's sinking back in. And then of course she you know, goes again. But you know, it's, Ron is thinking of all the good times, you know, he's, th- he's thinking of all, Ron is thinking of all the times he never acknowledge Percy at Christmas. He never said hello to him. And Harry's response is, Percy was an ass too. He never said hello to you either. And Ron looks at them like, you know, this is sacrilegious. You know, we're, we're talking ill of the dead. Percy screwed up, so did Ron. And that's the message. Ron can't carry the grief around with him totally. And I love the fact that Harry is the one giving Ron, an adv- you know, a counseling session on how to deal with grief. <laughs> because, you know, he feels bad that his friends have to go to the bathroom because of him. It's like, so, what did y'all think of that um, scene where um, Hermione and Jenny walk in on the drink fest? <laughs> and they're under the bed, and the man at the door opens, they smash the their head. Like, and they're having a conversation about who had the ro- most romantic magic carpet ride. <laughs> like, like, and, and Harry's heart. Huh? Harry is like honestly heart. Like, didn't y'all love the really fast, speedy romantic ride? <laughs> <laughs> and he's and like, she- oh, sweetie, sure. <laughs> and I love the fact too that Hermione puts the sobering charm on them, tells them that that Umbridge is holding a press conference in three days, that Wormtail has been released, and then makes them drunk again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> What is the point? You could have just waited. I just need you for a moment. I need to tell you this real fast. The chapter's almost over, and then she just makes them drunk again for the rest of the day. I thought that was fabulous. (laughs) I like when she banishes it. (laughs) Harry's like, hey, that's my birthday present. I'm not done with it yet. (laughs) Hermione goes, oh, really? Then where is it? And he goes, uh. (laughs) I need it. I had it somewhere. Way to go, Hermione. You outsmarted the drunk person. <laughs> I love drunk Harry. Uh, he's a prerequisite in just about every fic I think we talk about. Now, this chapter actually misled me. I thought what we were going to have in chapter 22 was Umbridge standing up with her, you know, perfect plan to, you know, use, you know, segregation to completely, you know, win over the wizarding world and win you know, election is minister. And I thought you were going to have the scene where Harry speaks up to the crowd and wins the crowd over and and, and Umbridge is thrown from the ministry on her butt. And you didn't get that because the line you get at the end of the chapter is um, in reference to the fact that, you know, in three days, you know, Harry Umbridge will stand and will, you know, unite the wizarding world against the Muggleborns and towards Voldemort. Maybe it's time for the chosen ones to tell the people what's really going on, whether they want to hear it or not. Harry said, his jaw clenched in determination. Harry never got to do that. <laughs> and, you know, you move into the next chapter and you have, you know, the, the ministry packed with people and Ron and Hermione and Ginny and some of the Weasleys are there either in disguise or in polyjuice and all of the Aurors are there. And you have Umbridge introduced Dudley Dursley as the chosen one. 
and the Dursleys are there. And I was a little unclear what Umbridge was going for there, unless to, on some level, just discredit Harry so that he wouldn't be a factor in the future. It seemed like she could have gotten what she wanted there without bringing in the Dursleys. It seemed like they were just, you know, another layer of stuff to deal with. Unless the response would have been, you know, why do we need Voldemort? Harry will save us. And if that was the case, you really didn't get that sense from the crowd. And the only thing that I think maybe would have helped this chapter flow better is if you got a sense from the crowd that they were resistant to Umbridge because they were placing their faith in Harry. And then, oh, by the way, on that, Harry isn't the chosen one. This kid is. It seemed like Dudley was thrown up on the stage without you know, a very clear idea in the reader's mind of why he was there. What's everyone else think? I think that's true. Um, I disagree. Okay. I thought, I really liked the idea that, 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 that Umbridge was using Dudley because in her mind, she has already sacrificed Harry. Basically there's a death worn out for him. Hmm. And what she's doing is she's telling the people, it's not such a bad thing that we sacrifice Harry. It's not such a bad thing that we lose him because, look, we have a new hero. This kid is going to save the world. Here is a new person who you can all lay your hopes and dreams on, and everything's going to be okay. Dudley Dursley. Well, that's the idea that I got, that it was all it was all a lie, you know, misleading. Yeah, I think she wanted someone that she could control. Right. Like, yes, she right. needed the poster boy that everyone could believe in, but she needed to control him. Yeah, and I really yeah. loved what you saw, you know, the, the, the Dursleys do. The Dursleys were proud because someone in the magical world saw that Dudley was special. And I never would have expected the Dursleys to appreciate the magical world, but when you think of the characterization, it does make perfect sense. Right. And I do love the fact that with everything Umbridge does, she tries to discredit, 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 go for your enemy's strengths, not their weaknesses. Who's to tell if Voldemort had marched in there what would have happened? Maybe Harry would have been discredited and things would have gotten worse. But, you know, if, you know, and like I said before, there were two different ways the scene could have gone. Harry could have, you know, himself gotten up and discredited Umbridge, or Voldemort could have marched in and did it. And the way the story worked was that Voldemort marched in and did it. And I did appreciate Umbridge's reaction. Well, you can't do this. This isn't orderly. We have yes. a deal. And that's mm-hmm. the that's that's the character of Umbridge, and that's true of the character. Umbridge isn't an evil woman based on the fact that, you know, how she sees herself. She sees herself, yeah, as like an orderly woman who, who why should the Muggleborns be here? We don't need them. They're a hindrance. Why you know, why can't we all get along in peace? She believes this stuff. It's other crap and it's you know, it, it, it is extremely harmful to people and is racist and you know, so many problems with it. But she believes it and if you could have pulled her, she would have believed in everything she was saying. And she honestly couldn't understand like Dudley I'm sorry, like Draco can't understand charity. Voldemort can't understand love. Umbridge cannot un- understand why she failed because everything was working so well. Mm-hmm. And then she gets eaten by werewolves. <laughs> I love the description. I cheered. With the blood. I, I love the, the description with like the blood smacked on the wall as the, as, <laughs> as the werewolves closed in on her. Now, here's the thing. I mean, in every. Like, here's what I loved about Order of the Phoenix I love that, that Umbridge didn't die. I love that she was humiliated. And. I would have, 
I don't know. Maybe I would have enjoyed the scene more if Umbridge had become a werewolf and was now yeah. the thing that she led her career to, 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 to banish and she had no rights because she took all of her rights away when she before she was a werewolf. I don't know. I, I, I almost get the sense that killing her was too easy. I love seeing her die, though. Uh, Melinda was fulfilling, I think, everyone's longing dream that Umbridge be killed. And, and like, in a bloody, gory, nasty... Yes. Sl- I was so <laughs> for the slaughter. I can't tell you. <laughs> go, Not werewolves, go. At Potterfic Weekly, but we do enjoy when somebody gets eaten alive by Mauled a alive by werewolves. <laughs> I think I would have rather, honestly, I think I would have rather have seen, like, a mob of angry citizens just, like, attack her in the street. I don't know. It just seemed too, and and Melinda, I love the story. I I love the way it happened. I I think having her be mauled to death by a pack of angry werewolves was too good for her. And that is my complaint. I just, what, what, so the werewolves only ate her? Well, I think yeah. she, well, she was the minister of magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. No, I'm sure. They, I'm sure they were going for other people. I mean, there were there were death curses flying everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm sure the werewolves, you know, fed on some more people other than other than Umbridge. I just, you know what? With Umbridge, you really got to take care with how you get rid of this character. I think I think Melinda went too easy on her, and that is the basis of my complaint, which is a ridiculous complaint. But I think that Melinda let her get off too easily. I think Melinda definitely went too easy on her. I think you could you could do much worse than just have her be eaten by a pack of werewolves. I don't know. That blood splatter was pretty. That was awesome, wasn't it? The blood splatter. <laughs> yeah. I, I was a big fan of the blood splatter. I listened to the blood. I listened to this chapter on my iPod. I listened to the blood splatter about three times. I loved it. <laughs> and then later on, it mentions that Great. they're still desecrating her body. Yeah. Later on, yeah. So they really. Oh, and Fre- and later on, Fred and George like you know re- reference that she's in centaur heaven. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, my goodness. I really liked Harry's line to the Dursleys, come with me if you want to live. (laughs) Yes. He's so very James Bond, our Harry. Come with me if you want to live. I would prefer if you stay behind, but I don't get a vote. (laughs) Deadly's like, I'm more powerful than you. I'm like, you are stupid. Well, I love Harry's response. Then fine, get us out of here. (laughs) Silence. And Batania actually liked, she was like, Dudley, shut up and listen. <laughs> I would have loved it if Dudley was like, I'm the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, I am your cousin. Or he talked to Voldemort. Voldemort, I am your equal. <laughs> I am your cousin. Have a that would have been moment. The, that would have been amusing. And, okay, so what does everyone think? <laughs> Remus and Tonks. <laughs> I was confused. You were confused? I was confused. Why were you confused? Well, just the whole logistics of it. Voldemort kills him, and then there's like this whole paragraph of Harry yelling, screaming, "No, no!" But Voldemort doesn't attack Harry. And I other thought people. Harry just got watches. I thought Harry got the Vol- the Harry got so angry. Didn't he like knock Voldemort back? Yeah, he did, didn't he? <laughs> Harry's bitch slapping a lot of people in this fic. He's like, and no! Then, like, everyone flies 30 feet in the background. And he has, like, that, like, great Matrix Star <laughs> Wars nose where he breaks yeah. the nose. Expelliarmus. Oh, I was just, I was laughing because I thought that was so, like, I just keep getting this image of, like, Luke Skywalker hanging to the, it, the, um, Vince in Cloud City, you know, just screaming. I will say this too. Um, for those of you listening who maybe who haven't read Melinda's other fix, she does tend to um, favor certain 
plot devices that if you've read uh, Curse of the Damned, there's many different things that will reappear. She borrows from herself, I think, very well. I referenced it earlier on uh, the scene when Hermione yells, how dare you, he was a boy, um, was, I believe, verbatim from Lily Potter in Curse of the Damned. And the death of Remus does echo the death of another character um, in, uh, it wasn't, it was in Power of Emotion, actually. It was in the um, the first part there. Um, and it does seem as though, you know, the dying character does get the opportunity to monologue a little bit. But you know what? I don't care. I love uh, Remus's final words to Harry. I love mm-hmm. you, Harry. I always have. Remus said, ducking and rolling away from one of Voldemort's killing curses. Stay safe, end this thing, and most of all, be happy. I mean, how often... Like, like think about this for a minute. Remus has been out, you know, eating children, you know destroying everything he believed in because of what Dolores Umbridge forced upon him and because on some level it allowed him to help the Order and give information. And he's being attacked by the Dark Lord. He's ducking death curses while he's delivering this very poignant, you know, farewell. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think if you had had to see that scene, it probably would have been amusing, like, ducking the death curse while, you know, speaking very calmly. But... It was just such... I, I just thought it was a great farewell from the character, and I do love the fact that Tongs went with him. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. I cried through this scene, guys. No Literally. kidding. No kidding, like, Jen. I, I just... I can see Lupin dying in the seventh book. He's my favorite character, though, and I don't want him to go. Like, I just... Ugh. It makes I, me... It's the last connection Harry has to his parents, and yeah. it's gone. Oh. And he takes Tonks and they have I I saw this whole scene this whole scene as in slow motion to me. You know, they lock eyes, a private communication. She nods her eyes feeling I had no idea that she was going to die too. And I thought she is just saying goodbye in her own way to him, I thought. And um and I, it was so horrible because at this point I knew exactly what that Remus was going to die, and my my heart got heavy and thick with emotion, and I was just going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and um, I I just oh, they they hold him back just like Remus held him back when Sirius died, yeah, and. You know, and Ron is the one that's saying there's nothing you can do. And I I was fine until until Ron went, I'm so sorry, Harry. And when he said that, I, ugh, I lost it. And I love the fact that Ron said there's nothing you can do because when Percy died, Harry said, it's final. There's nothing you can do. He's gone. You can't fix it. You can't go back in time. And this is the advice that Harry, the expert at this, gave. And Ron is able to return the favor a short time later and say, he's gone. You know, you, you can't fix this. And it's it's these two characters literally have each other's backs. And it's from a few chapters ago. You know, Ron may want to strangle Harry when he touches his baby sister. But Ron will die for Harry. And Ron is Harry's friend through and through. I, I do love the fact that, and we get foreshadowing, you know, it started before, but it continues here. Harry is so enraged and so emotional at the death of Remus that he li- literally is able to overpower Voldemort's wards and allow them all to escape. To me, this scene was so similar to the, the scene in The End of Order of the Phoenix where Harry is in Dumbledore's office, and at the very 
end of his emotional law. I mean, he can't do anything else and he screams and, and it was so, and I just felt, Oh my God, he screams. I, then I don't want to be human, you know? And, and at that time I felt, you know, some serious magical energy could come out of this kid right yeah. now. And I felt like this reducto was a, kind of a tribute to that scene. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, because Vol- it is a thing that Voldemort could never understand, because why would he care if one of his Death Eaters died? In the same scene, you see Voldemort, you know, recovered one of his Death Eaters. Think of, you know, all the times, you know, that they could have lost, you know, Hermione, they could have lost Ginny. You know, Voldemort gets Wormtail back. What's the first thing he does? He cuts his head off and gives it to Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> Look how each Voldemort and Harry values value those close to them. It, no comparison at all. I, would, I just thought this was a, an amazing scene. I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Bye, Remus. <laughs> we'll see you again soon, buddy. <laughs> and bye, Tonks. And I was just sad because they... Do you really think that Remus went eight children? I, th- I think it was referenced that he assisted in the attacks on the Muggles, yeah. Okay. I just, I just don't understand that at all. I think that it was something that he was forced into doing. And if he was going to maintain his place in Greyback's uh, cheek over your ears pack, that he would need to maintain that cover. And I think that if Remus had lived, it would have been something that he wouldn't have been able to deal with. So I think one of the... I actually believe... Why didn't he just stay at Grimmauld Place? He, it was, yeah, it was referenced in the story he didn't want to become, like, serious. And Harry understood that because Harry... Like, look in this story. They're, everyone's telling Harry, you know, stay in the house, don't go out, just just stay put. And Harry won't do it because Harry needs to be useful. And, and How is killing children useful? I don't think he saw that as something that would happen. I think that when he um, went into into the, the werewolf community in book six, it was to gain information. And I think that circumstances had changed so much that he didn't anticipate that they may be going on the attack. And I think it was something that he got. I would actually be interested in seeing, you know, missing moments of Remus's journey into, you know, the wolf community because I don't think he saw that coming. I think it was something he got trapped in. I was just, I guess I'm just really confused with that whole Remus plot line. I just, I, I just thought that Remus could have stayed at headquarters and him and Tonks could have still sacrificed themselves with enjoying the last few moments that they knew that they would have. And it makes me curious to know is in that letter that she heard, she goes, I heard from him last night. If in that letter, that is when they talked about what they would do. And I don't know. It could have been. I think in that letter, he said, probably had to reference what he ha- he was forced to do as a werewolf. And to be honest, like I know from a, from a story writing standpoint, you know, could Remus have stayed in Grimmel Place? Yes, but I think he would have refused to based on the fact that he didn't want to end up like serious. He didn't want to end up trapped in the house under house arrest. If he thought he could go out and do something useful, he would do it. And I think the situation got away from him. But I don't see that as Remus at all. I don't, I never saw Remus as the go and do guy. I saw him as the, I'm going to stay in my house guy. No, he did it in book six. He In book six, mm-hmm. he went out and got information for the order. I guess, but I don't know. You're right. You're right. What do you think, Nick? E. <laughs> like that? I agree with you, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I just... 
I go, I'm with two minds because what they did to Sirius was dangerous for Sirius's mentality. I'm not really sure Ramus has the same issues. I know, you know, it works, it's much more dramatic, mm. you know, in the overarching storyline. If Ramus and Tox are tragically parted and then reunited in a, in, at the moment of death, that's really romantic and miserable. And um, I think, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's one of those things where I, maybe it's just that it felt to me like she was kind of pushing Ramus off to the side. Like she had too many characters on her plate, so she pushed Ramus off to the side. She brought him back at the key moment. But that's what Joe Rowling does to Ramus all the time, too. Yeah. So, Well, she not- basically, she was able to show how bad things were that even Ramus had to be you know, cast out into the world, you know, from Grimmel Place because of Umbridge, because of the way things were changing. And it was almost like, look how bad things are. Remus can't even stay around anymore. Like, you know, things are, there's actually consequences to this, you know, new plot into the way things are moving. It's not just, you know, there's a war, there's a war going on out there, but we're isolated right here. I mean, it was, it was a vis- visible impact of, of the war, which I thought was, Definitely something which added a, a, a deeper sense of realism to the story. Although I do, I, I will say though that I think that Remus couldn't live with what he had to do, and I think that part of his sacrifice, I think he would have done it anyway. But I think he certainly sacrificed himself because he didn't want to go on with what he was probably forced to do. Yeah, I hope that's it. I mean, I didn't like. I don't like the idea of Remus killing Muggles and eating people. It's yeah, really I disturbing. Are to you? Me. Are you are you talking about? I think I must have missed the conversation and zoned out or something. Are you talking about like something that she wrote? Or are you just conjecturing that? I'm talking about something that she wrote. Oh well, maybe I'll just ignore it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to. I I just I don't I see I it and I don't to. like it at all. I don't I I don't buy it for Amos. Of werewolves had attacked a local gathering, killing and maiming a huge section of the townspeople. Many young villagers had been bitten and carried off by the pack. Cries had spread out that the werewolves needed to be put down, and those victims that had survived the massacre had suddenly found themselves among the accused. There was a there was a reference to Remus may have been forced to take part in it. Oh, may have been. See, that's enough. That's enough leeway for me to live in my happy little world. <laughs> do you think it has anything to do with the attack the other night? Tonks nodded tearfully. I'm afraid it does. There's no way he could have stopped the loan, but, but if he was forced to take part, the guilt would kill him, Harry said, his face impassive. Yeah, it, but there's we don't have any definite proof on No, we yet. don't. We don't. So. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad you're with me, Jen. <laughs> I, I just couldn't have that. We're over here rooting for Ramus, and he's already. I was about dead. to cry, honestly. I know. I just can't see. Just can't see it. I know. I can. Ramus is the type of person that would not, especially kids. He just wouldn't be able to. The one thing I do want to say though is, if it was a full moon, Remus may not have had any choice. Right. Yeah. He wouldn't have had himself locked up. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's just terrible. I can't think of this day of stuff. I know. It's awful. I don't want to think about it. Cry. And even if Umbridge had locked him up, she wouldn't have given him Wolfsbane potion. Maybe I don't care that they either. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Yes, die, Umbridge, die. On that that note, chapter 23, Haven't I Been Here Before, which is what I feel like every time we record one of these episodes at 1 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Yep. I can't hear you. What? (sighs) I can't hear you. 
<laughs> Nikki, Nikki, as we enter hour four of this episode, <laughs> was this what you thought it would be? It's much better. <laughs> Are you serious? This I'm so I'm much ranting. Oh god. We are we are quite mad. We are. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> we are quite crazy. Um now I'm completely sane. Oh Jen, that makes it so much worse for the rest of us. All right. <laughs> chapter twenty three. One thing I love about this chapter is Malfoy and Draco, the odd couple. Malfoy and Draco the odd couple? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Malfoy and Dud- it's one o'clock in the morning. Malfoy and Dudley, the odd couple. Yes, yes, yes. I love the part where where Dudley is like, you're Malfoy. I've heard about you, and Draco's like, charming. Charming. <laughs> <laughs> He's so delightfully stuck up. <laughs> yes. Like, Dudley is convinced he's better than everybody else, and Draco is convinced that he's better than everybody else, and they have to manage, they have to co- coexist in the same. I'm surprised the universe just doesn't blow up, to yes. be quite honest with you. They're, they're, they're the same character, really. One of them is magical, one of them isn't. Yes. Yes. That they serve the same purpose in the story. Yes. And I don't but, know why, but all I can picture right now is Jason Alexander screaming, a George divided against itself cannot stand. And I'm not sure why. <laughs> <but> <laughs> oh my goodness. That was, okay, how many Star Trek references and how many mm-hmm. Seinfeld references? Okay, but I made two Star Wars ones. So... And Melinda did. Melinda made Star Wars um, references in the last chapter, but I, I didn't get any of them. You know, somewhere Phil is drunk. <laughs> in his red minivan with built-in red... DVD player. Yes. Which is you... bitchin'. <laughs> I think that's so awesome. Gong, but awesome. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we should really focus on Chapter 23, because... I don't want Nikki to think that we always record for five hours. We do always record for five hours. <laughs> yeah, but we don't need her to think that. <laughs> she already knows. Oh, God. Right. Haven't I been here before? I just said yes. yes. Um, <laughs> someone else Sorry. start this. I like how Melinda did uh, Ginny's dealing with being the youngest and being left behind. She understands why that she needed to stay home for her mom, you know, but she still hates it at the same time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the only thing that would possibly keep Jimmy from going with Harry was the fact that her brother died last week, and she... Yeah. And that, like, that's the only... Like, it has to come to death is the only thing that can hold her back. I like that. Melinda paints some really good visual pictures sometimes, and mm-hmm. I get this really great picture in my mind of Jenny sitting on that... Um, what does she call it? She calls it a... Uh, I'm so not good with um, architecture. Yeah, th- that. She's sitting on that outside the astronomy tower. She's overlooking Hogwarts. So I'm assuming she's really high up, you know, and and uh, I just get this great picture of her being very pensive and introspective and having this great thought process while something awful is going on at the ministry. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And then... I just think she does a lot better than... And not that we're comparing fanfics to each other, but, you know, with After the End, Ginny really bothered me a lot. Because she just... She was so assertive about, I'm not a baby, and yet she still acted like one. Yeah. And After the End. But here, she's assertive that she's not a baby, but she's... And she's acting like not a baby. So it's really nice to see. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> now, Jen, can we get you to say something nice about Jenny in this chapter? I actually really liked Jenny in this chapter. Well, there we go. Um, what? I, I, I just think that's a far cry from when we were blaming her for ripping Harry's arm off. <laughs> I'm okay. I have to say, I only make fun of when I really like and appreciate, I can find the humor in situations, you know, because if I didn't appreciate it or like it, I wouldn't give it the time of day. This is true as well. I think we, we've made a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of fun with these chapters tonight. And I think that's yes. only because we started off with the image in our mind of Jen chasing her car down a grassy knoll, and there's no way that we can, you know, shift that much into the into the realm of the serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think I like how Jenny picks up how Harry's feeling without him having to tell her, and he knows that she's not that he's not going to talk about it because he has assumed his somewhat indifferent stoic. You know, he's trying to make himself hard against the pain. He's trying not to give into it. And the small things that she writes, Harry's lip trembled just for a moment. And um, how Jenny put his her arm around him. And although he didn't return it, he allowed her to do it. And I mean, like those little things. I I loved this scene. Yeah. I yes. loved how Jenny how Jenny acted in that, and um, I thought it was really lovely how how finally she could do something for him in this fake. Really, she could be there for him, and uh, when he loses it, oh my gosh! I, I know just, it just I, makes you want to cry all over again. Oh, I was <laughs> because I was so upset that Remus and Tonks just died, and because if he didn't cry, I would have. I felt that Harry needed to cry here. He needed to let it out and let it go and grieve a little bit because it's just not fair. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the best thing to describe Harry in all all fanfic and all um, the canon. God, it's just not fair. And he never, ever seems to get a break. And this was just something else. And usually it's the something else that makes whatever happened before so much worse. Mm-hmm. And it all piles up at that point. And so I just, I really love that she, I kind of wish that they had woken up on the couch together instead of her leaving him. But, you know, not everything can be perfect <laughs> as in my head. This is true. Yeah. You're like, it wasn't smutty enough for me. I wish they had gone further. Well, it, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not saying I want. I guess I do. I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want smut necessarily, but I love all those little romantic. But this didn't seem like it was forced romance. It didn't feel like it was like this they were very, telling us this yeah. could be romantic. And there was no uh, there was none of that fake you mean the world to me, Harry moment or y- you know, yeah. it was just very natural. You know what it was? And like I know we're really starting to make a lot of references to after the end, but my favorite scene in after the end or one of my favorite scenes is Anyone who listens to those podcasts knows every scene is my favorite scene. But the yes. one where uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are outside of the Granger's room at St. Mungo's, and she holds both of their hands. She's sitting between them and says, as long as I have you two, I'll make it. And they start, yeah. you know, just, they, they start reminiscing about, you know, old days of Hogwarts. And it really makes them seal, seem like real, living, breathing people when they do the reminiscing. Because you know that even though, you know, in this chapter, you know, they're going off to Azkaban, and then this chapter, you know, they're they're defending the borough, and in this chapter, you know, they're just, you know, arguing with Molly, or they're fighting over who sleeps with who. This is essentially the chapter where Harry mourns Remus, 
and he looks at Ginny and says, you know, he taught me how to cast a Patronus. Did you know that? And, you know, Ginny remembers that the year after the, the Tom Riddle affair, when she had to essentially catch up on everything, you know, Remus was very kind to her. And it's just these are people, like, almost like at a wake. They're, you know, we never get a wake for Remus or a funeral for Remus, but they... This is people remembering those who have who have fallen. They're remembering Percy and they're remembering Remus, and it's essentially we get to watch the characters heal. And I I just think that it's just it's a very powerful scene. I feel as though sometimes in these chapters we um, we watch the characters explain to people who weren't there what we just saw. So it's like a retelling of the events over and over. And sometimes that gets a little grating. It doesn't happen too much, but it does happen here. It happens a little bit later too. But I do really enjoy and appreciate the moments in, in this chapter, especially when we get to see the characters remember Remus, you know, from their own perspectives. I think that was great. And especially Harry, you know, we saw Harry watch how the, the Weasleys banded together at the death of Percy. And here he is now. He's lost Sirius. He's lost Remus. He's lost Dumbledore. He's lost, you know, he's Harry has lost so many people. And he doesn't understand why and Ginny you know tries to explain it's love it's the love that you have in you that is going to let you defeat Tom and and love is everything and Harry's response is love is scary if it makes people do things like that mm-hmm. yeah and it's and how much of the story Harry is you know think of it you have this weapon in your arsenal that will let you defeat even Voldemort and it's so powerful it let him defeat you know Tom's wards to break everyone out of the ministry and it's so powerful it will allow him to do such amazing things that was so powerful it saved him from Voldemort because Lily felt it so much and Harry doesn't understand what it is and it's 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 what he is he is made up of love and he doesn't understand it I just think it's fascinating for the hero to go through the journey to discover himself it just is it, just I think it's very well written and it's very powerfully done well I think yeah. that it's so important that everyone keeps dying for Harry that he realizes it that he, I can, I can see him totally going, man. No, I can totally understand him pushing everyone away because it's not that he's protecting them um, from getting hurt. It's, it's him protecting them from loving him to where they sacrifice themselves and he loses another person he loves, and it's a little selfish, but. Yeah, I mean, he, you, we've got to give him something, and 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 no one seems to realize that his Harry's one weakness and one like his 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 hugest regret, and it's something that's not even his fault, is that everyone he loves keeps dying for him. Yeah. Selfishly, he wants to stop because he can't bear to lose them. And how ironic is it that his greatest strength is his greatest weakness? I know yeah. it's just so it's much great storytelling. That's you know? pretty deep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's pretty deep for one o'clock in the morning. My God, you know Eastern, hey, what, Ryan, what Ryan just said. Yeah, that's yeah. deep. Greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. Whoa, I gotta think Whoa. about that for a while. <laughs> that's yeah, I got chills. Oh, it was almost like we. <laughs> every time we say "Whoa," that was deep. I just. I just get this image of like us all <laughs> sitting around talking about fan fiction like around a campfire and like packing, <laughs> passing the world's biggest bong around. You know? <laughs> I love it. Like, like are, are we discussing you know the, like the uh, like the Odyssey, the Iliad? No, dude, we're talking about the Seventh Horcrux by Melinda Leo. <laughs> and, it, and it is deep, and that's the funny part. It, it's funny how 
an art form that isn't taken very seriously by most people can be so, you know, fan fiction isn't limiting in, in how it can, how deep it can go and how, and how far it can touch you, I think. And I think that to think that it can't is kind of a faulty assumption. Yeah, I mean, look at Phil and After the End. I mean, my God. He almost named his daughter Arabella. <laughs> uh, I love that name. Oh, goodness. All right, we're getting into the baby name section of our episode, so let's uh, wrap up this chapter here. Uh, one thing I did like about this chapter, too, and like I said, I think some of the chapter is a little bit um, repetitious, as we hear the characters explain to the characters who weren't at the ministry what happened to the ministry. Um, there, there, there are some levels of, there are more layers to the uh, to the storyline that are added here. Ginny starts to understand Draco and Pansy, and I think that's very important, because like I said at the start of the podcast, Draco is a three-dimensional character. He has weaknesses like Harry has weaknesses. He he needs certain people. Certain people mean a lot to him. And it's something that it's very easy to not put in Draco's character, but I think it, it benefits the character to have that in there. So Ginny is able to understand you know, Draco and, and Pansy and the fact that they love each other and they need to be alone with each other sometimes, as sickening as that thought is. And, you know, I mean, and, and they, like Harry, are just trying to get through this war together. Um, and obviously, you know, there, there are the, um, the plot elements. The Ministry has fallen. St. Mungo's has been closed. Voldemort decides who gets medical attention. And the Aurors have regrouped at Hogwarts. So essentially, Hogwarts, you know, under the control of the Order of the Phoenix is the last hope. And my only question is, why doesn't Voldemort attack it? There must be some powerful magic there. You know, um, Joe says a lot of it has to do with Dumbledore. A magical school doesn't stand for a thousand plus years without some pretty serious, you know, magical protection. So, so you're telling me that Voldemort can then attack Hogwarts because it has a really good like alarm system. He's taking things one step at a, at a time, and I think if he he has taken over the ministry. Now he just needs to set up. Now he can establish his base. Now we have a more traditional war-type situation. We have yeah. two clearly defined armies with two clearly defined bases. So now we're more in the mental game of, you know, okay, let's all line up on one side of the field, and you line up on the other side of the field, and we'll march across, and whoever kills the most guys wins. Like that philosophy on wars, as opposed to the gorilla. What do you think type. of that? Because I always thought Voldemort is more the terrorist rather than like the. I never thought he wanted to be the next minister of magic. I, you know what I mean? I never really. No, I don't. I think Voldemort's quest is more for um, immortality for himself. I think I'm not sure what Voldemort's original goal is, but I believe that now he's become so obsessed with killing Harry. That's probably his only focus right now. Hmm. Is is killing Harry, getting him out of the way, so then he can go on and become immortal and rule the world or whatever it is that he wants to do. And I think we're nearing the end of tonight's episode, which for those of you who are curious about the behind the scenes has been recorded for the last four hours and thirteen minutes exactly. Holy God. <laughs> so look at God. your counters and you're gonna see something in the three hour mark and you're gonna wonder what's up with all that missing footage and wouldn't you like to know? Oh my goodness, you don't know. <laughs> I'm sure There's... some of it will be in the blooper reel. <laughs> oh, just you wait for the blooper reel, and, and all oh, I can God. say is enjoy the blooper reel. Oh, I know I will. Oh no. It's no, always me. It's definitely going to be you this time, Jen. Oh, it's always you and me. Why is it always you and me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
God. <laughs> well, Nikki, really Nikki, Lolith, whatever your name is, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We hope you had a good time, and we hope we didn't scare you away. It was wonderful. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're like, I need to go lay down. <laughs> All right, and we're going to finish... The Seventh Horcrux by the time Deathly Hallows comes out. So you're listening to this on the 4th of July. Next episode comes out the 11th. And then we'll wrap up with an interview with Melinda and Final Chapters on the 18th. And then we're going to take like a week off and read Deathly Hallows before we're back. But we're going to only release like seven or eight podcasts that week. So you'll be hearing from us. Yeah, yeah. Are we yeah. doing a Deathly Hallows podcast? We are, doing a Deathly, we are doing a Deathly Hallows podcast. We are doing the End of Canon, the podcast. We are doing... We are doing a podcast on how to cook. We are doing podcasts on everything. We're doing a <laughs> podcast in the proper way to, you know, apply the emergency break. We have to do a movie podcast because I'm going like 14 times. All right, Jen, what? you're in charge of the movie podcast. Oh, oh I'm too busy. What? <laughs> you just podcasted with us for five hours and 13 minutes. How are you too busy? Uh, yeah. I don't. I had to rearrange my life, you know, getting run over by a car. <laughs> podcast. That was supposed to happen tomorrow. <laughs> I had to oh move that my up. God, this podcast is like gonna kill me, literally. <laughs> like fate is dooming me to not be a part of this. I don't know. Thanks, well, I think. Screw you, fate. <laughs> Maybe we should say goodbye so Ryan can end the recording and put us out of our misery. Bye. Bye. I had to play that okay. in a lesson when I was like three. Hang on one second. Oh, you were Rob When you were three, you had to okay. play stuff. <laughs> Not that. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, forced yeah. until I was five. <laughs> I started when I was five, and it was this book of like really cheesy Disney um, songs. Oh, you know, because like, really five-year-old material is exactly. We can't and all be breaking first art. It was seriously the first song I had to play two hands on, and to this day I can't stand it. <laughs> no, I had to play this stupid song called "The Merry Freaking Farmer." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, did I hate that merry freaking farmer. And this is why our ratings went in the toilet when you were basically having an emergency appendect. <laughs> why? It is. That doesn't Christmas make any sense. The Sorry. <laughs> this isn't oh, a bloodbath, Melinda. Oh, we're like, we're I like can't hear you guys. Oh. Seriously, this is ridiculous. All right, she- she were buying la 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 I know that sometimes I mute until I talk. Maybe that will make it easier, better. Uh, Brian? You just call me Brian? No. I thought you called me Brian. I don't think. I knew, I was thinking Ryan. Okay. What was I saying? Maybe there was a B in there. I don't know. Uh, whatever. Sorry. We'll, we'll figure that out later. Um, everyone's right. Chi, go ahead. What was I saying? Something about Chamberlain. Sorry, my, my, my mic is falling apart. Hold on. Okay, hang on. What the hell okay. was that? Was there a horse in the room? What was that? That was me. 
I was growling. <laughs> I'm like, I got upset and I growled. I'm sorry. I'm like, we have horses in here now? <laughs> you don't make that sound when you get upset. You don't growl. No, but it actually sounded like there was an actual horse in the room. <laughs> have you been around an actual horse? Because that doesn't sound like a horse to me. <laughs> and it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very quick thing. I need to take Ron horseback riding. And so it was an interesting oh, concept of... Guys. Oh, hey, oh, God, she's going to start singing any second now, I know it. La, 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 Somebody else needs to talk really fast. Da, da, la, 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 I'd like to teach the world harmony. I know if you were muting, you can actually not mute us. It's all right, because I don't want you to lose out on the conversation, because we're... Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hi. I'm back. All right. It's just... Oh, sorry. I'm, someone's um, got their Skype sound on. Whoever that was just needs to turn off their sound effects. Do you, I don't think it's me. Did someone Skype? Nothing popped up. Did someone no. Skype just beep on their end? Nope. No. I think you're hearing things. How do I, I think he's hearing think things. randomly hearing <laughs> Skype beeps? He is in, like, static. <laughs> I don't hear anything. You're going to listen to the episode and be like, what is that noise in the background? It sounds like a snowblower. Do you all have them on your cars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ryan. Oh. I did deserve that one. I didn't know. Oh, hang on. Is it me? It might be me. Maybe it's you. Oh, my dun, gosh. Dun, dun. <laughs> Stop picking on poor Nikki over here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, before we start the new chapter, I'm go- I'm running to the restroom. Okay, I am too. So, so get a two-minute bathroom break. Okay, be back. All by myself. I want to be all by myself anymore. Sadness. Am I here alone? Nope. Chi? Hey. Hi, darling. How are you? Good. I can't wait to get into these other chapters. Like, oh my gosh, I love the the further, the chapters that we're getting to. I think 20 and 21, 20 through 23, I love I know, I know. Well, I'm know. like, come on, come on, come on. Let's get to the good stuff. Yeah. Like the like the flying rug. <laughs> oh, I kept waiting for Harry to start singing, I can show you the world. Shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? I can open your eyes, take you wonder by wonder. What's up with your sound? Sideways. Huh? You're like, uh, 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 like that's how your sound, like it's like loud, soft, loud, soft, loud, soft. How about like I just my that's my, so my much better, like, so yeah. much better. Yay! I was not enjoying your singing because I couldn't Sorry. hear it. No, because I couldn't hear it. Oh, because I was singing all by myself when everybody left because I didn't go to the bathroom. I was sitting here. I was like, 
Don't wanna be. Oh my gosh, Bridget Jones Diary. I love that scene. By myself <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I know. Boom, 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 boom. <sighs> when I was young, I never, I never needed, needed anyone. And making love was just for fun. <laughs> Those days are gone. Oh, oh Bridget Jones. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> Have fun editing, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna change like the thing on um, <laughs> iTunes on the show that say best served with alcohol. <laughs> so th- anyway, I inside love my that. head. Oh my gosh, can I not hear you guys again? Oh god, she's about to start yep, singing. Yeah, that's what's going on. Hang on, she's about to start singing. Yay! This is so fun and it's so convenient too. And she's about to start. I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. <laughs> that is what I'd really like to be. If I were an Oscar Mayer wiener, everyone would be in love with me. Oscar Mayer. Are you back yet? Last week, this went on for like five minutes. Are you back yet? No, she's not. Mac is nominating for the Witch Weekly Awards. Who is he nominating? Uh, <sighs> so fight your K-State Wildcats for all the modern fight, 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 glorious oh, combat for the purple and the white and the white. Faithful to our the colors. Mac is talking about we the size of his head. Yay! What? I can hear you guys again. Okay. Yeah, next time just sing musicals, babe. Uh, I ran out of stuff. I ran out of stuff. I was like... How about you just say testing, testing, one, two, three? No, No, sing. I like the singing, but... I like singing with, and I couldn't. Is everyone crashing? Everyone's getting really quiet on me. Well, James just came in and asked me to smell the milk. Um... (laughs) Not like, why is the car embedded in the fence? Does this milk smell bad? I haven't told him about it yet. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't told him about it. I don't know if that's going to. I think he'll notice the dent marks in both the fences. No, it's not. It's There's nothing. Oh. It's perfect. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm sorry if I gave you that impression. No, it didn't dent it at all. That your car crashed into the fence. Yeah, okay. No, it didn't. It lightly kissed it. It bumped it. <laughs> it lightly kissed it. <laughs> My car made love to the fence. Oh, God. Uh, Gee, have you made nominations on the Witch Weekly Awards while we've been recording the episode? No. <laughs> I'm looking in here and you're po- there's, like, poster in you no. in the forum, like, during the time we were... I'm well, I- I'm sorry, but you were having one of your little tangents with Jen, and <laughs> I got distracted, and I have, like, OCD. Not OCD, but that's yeah, the wrong people order. are posting on it. Yeah. ADD. Oh, I was just I'm giving Matt crap, because that's my job in life now. This is every your... time he's, like, every time his head starts, like, getting big, I just come behind him and I pop it. 
If you get taken out by a sniper, that person could be in You get taken out by Sniper Harry sitting on the roof with Jenny. Now, can I just tell you, in my office, there's a bunch of people who sit near the window, and one of them flipped over in his chair yesterday. He was leaning back, and he flipped over, and someone else screamed, does the sniper get down? Are you kidding? No. Were they being serious? No, he, he was joking, but it was like the guy flipped oh. over. He was like, it's a sniper, get down. I was like, that's really sad. You must work in a very stressful environment. <laughs> if you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potherfickweekly.com or you can email staff at potherfickweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781 3520643 and you can leave a voicemail up to 2 minutes in length or you can email us an audio file to our email address and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called The Gizmo Project and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information visit potherfickweekly.com. <laughs>